possible that we missed each other. Yeah. I arrived at about two o'clock. Now it was a little later, so I, I'll have you know. Oh, I, I now now that I know you re, you were out there that early. I was out watching the um, dressage, and I don't have like I guess I technically could push it. I don't have a reserve seat. I have a media pass. I was watching it like way out in center field because you can still see what you have to see. Oh, okay, so, you know, but that's. I was really in an isolated place. So I got there at 2. Truth be told, coming up later in the program, we're going to be joined by the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. And he was there, too. Yeah, unfortunately, this is not a Mike Tirico situation. He was happy to talk with you, (laughs) but he could only talk (laughs) at 2 o'clock yesterday. Okay. And so I have this new thing that you guys might hear sometimes where to allow Griffin to book guests whenever, because it is very difficult to do. and. I've got to still go do things in my life. Right. I got a headset so that if I'm out somewhere and somebody says I could talk right now, I can throw the headset on, hop on Zoom, record the conversation, gotcha. and we can air it the next day. So that's what had to happen. So I'm sitting in the car at Fair Hill with your trying, headset with on. my headset on, doing a conversation with Kurt Warner. So I didn't walk in until about two thirty. I walk in, and as soon as I walk in, the first person I see John is our friend John Maroon yeah. and um, and Mike. Oh, uh, Twine Twineame. I don't remember how to pronounce Mike's last name. Yeah, From he Mar- he gave me a lift yesterday. Mike gave me a lift on the golf course. Yeah, so yeah, people love golf carts at those. They things. do. They have such power. So well, I tell you, as soon as I got there, John said, "Hey, do you want to go? I want to go see the the cross country course. Do you want to go out with us?" Right. And I said. Sure. Why? I don't know really what I'm doing here. Yeah. I'd love to. Stan, I, I did you jump over some of the yeah, jumps? I, yeah, I, I did yesterday. Yeah, yeah. John went, Maroon said, "You well, want to try you that?" Could pass the and agility. then I fell and was in yeah. the hospital. Maybe when you, you got could there. pass the agility test with the Baltimore County Police <laughs> no, Department. Not happening. So uh, he gets out there to to show them to me, and um, I'm, I'm I'm looking at a couple of them. I'm like, this is legitimately crazy. Yeah. Like this is bonkers. What some of these riders and horses are going to be doing on Saturday? Yeah. This is nuts. So it's good that you gave some credit to the the horse. Yeah, right. Yeah. So um, the Maryland Five Star is this weekend out at Fair Hill in Cecil County. Would encourage you to get out there. Yeah. Uh, it's a great event. Fair Hill is beautiful. This was my first time really seeing it all set up for the Five Star. And it's and this is its third year. They've They've gotten a lot of the amenities really yeah. down now. Yeah. yeah, was really impressed. But I actually went up and um, went to the, the VIP area and was looking around. I got a, I got a whole tour. It was very yeah. cool and would really encourage you to get out and support that. And the weather is supposed to be really turned nice tomorrow. I think it's supposed to clear out about 10 or 11 in the morning. And it's supposed to oh, be a little windy, I think, news. but it's going to be a nice fall day. Really nice, yeah. I beautiful. love that. It is absolutely gorgeous out there. Busy day on tap. Coming up in a couple of minutes, uh, Mike Nolan, former Ravens defensive coordinator, will join us. He's going to tell us all about Terrell Suggs, of course, who goes into the Ravens Ring of Honor this weekend. Later on uh, this morning, our friend Bo Smolka, Press Box Ravens beat writer. As I mentioned, the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. And we will wrap up today's show by listening to segment number three of the Tyus Bowser Show with special guest Jadevian Clowney. All of that on tap here on GCR. Stan needs to get ready for the agility test because we're only eight days away from the Baltimore County Police Department's public hiring event. Next Saturday, we will be uh, at the... Public Safety Building, 700 East Joppa Road in Towson. 
it is a community and hiring event. So yeah. if you're not thinking about joining the Baltimore County Police Department, this is still a good day for you for a couple of reasons. One, there are a lot of people in the community who, frankly, don't have a lot of trust in the police. I think it's a topic that we have discussed for a few years now. And the Baltimore County Police Department understands that. They're not trying to fight it. They're not trying to say you're a bad person for feeling that way. They're saying, how do we fix it? How do we improve that moving forward? How do we work together? And that's why when they do these events, they want to invite the community. They want you to just come out. Let's talk. Let's have a conversation about My how My suggestion would be less tickets. Uh, that would be yeah. good news. I would yeah. agree with at that. Least when, at least when you or I Correct. are pulled over. Maybe we get like a rule that the two of us never have to worry yeah, about that. Would, that. that would go help a long us, way. Yeah. Go a yeah. long way. Um, it's also a chance for you to get your kids in their costumes and take them out for a nice, safe trunk or treat event. So I'd encourage you to get out there for that. But if you are thinking about a career in the Baltimore County Police Department, then this is a really great opportunity for you to go through the entire process. Written test, agility test, application process, all of it. You can do that on site next Saturday. You can find out more by going to joinbaltimorecountypd.com or by giving them a call, 410-887-5542. So Mike Nolan at 1020. Yes. Who else we got today? I guess we got Bo Smolka. Yeah, Bo's going to join us. Yeah, we just we just went over the list. Yeah, we did. But we've got we added Steve Doherty, right, from the Maryland Athletic Hall of Fame. Absolutely going to do that. Just wanted to make sure of that. That's right. You did mention the Kurt. It's all good. It's all good, Stan. All good. Still trying. I was still trying to find that video. Oh, of the the of last night when the pickoff guy on first base tagged the guy's. Gloves. To the point, the, uh, the the championship series have completely flipped on their head, obviously, in the last couple of days. I'm still not fully convinced that the Diamondbacks can win that series. That, to me, yesterday was the story of someone pitching the game of their life. And you got this is uh, Jose Altuve that you're yeah. going to show me. And, and he's getting his. Yeah, you gotta, oh, you're looking at a Canadian website. We're not allowed to watch that. Oh, I'm sorry. Goodness. Um, uh, I thought it was a guy pitching the game of his life combined with a strike zone that was very favorable to the pitchers yesterday. And I think that went to benefit the Diamondbacks. Now, still give them credit because when they felt, when they blew the opportunity after they pulled Fott in the sixth. Yeah, they and they tied it and then had first and third. Well, which, I would say even before that, when they blew the opportunity to go ahead in the sixth, right? And then it was still zero zero going to the seventh. I thought they would root that. That would be that. Right. And then when they fell behind one nothing, I said, "Well, forget it. Yeah. Like it's it's over." So I give them a ton of credit because down two zero in the series, now down in a game where they had gotten a masterpiece from Fott. I was convinced that it was over, and they still managed to dig in despite wasting a few runner yeah. on third, one out opportunities, and yeah. and get it, grind out a win. All the credit in the world of the Diamondbacks. I'm just still not very convinced that they can win that series. The American League thing to me, this is I, I never know why anyone writes off the Astros. I'll never understand why anyone would write off the Astros. There is too much there. They have too many professional hitters. Guys that have been in this situation before, and I get it, Abreu maybe isn't necessarily one of them, and yet he was the one that came through with a big three-run home run last night. Um, I'll never, for the life of me, understand why we write off and think that the Astros are dead. They have been in just about every situation that you can possibly... Their core 
has been in just about every situation you could possibly be in in the playoffs over the years, and all they ever do is continue to fight back and make it very difficult to kill them. What what was the year that it wasn't 72? It must have been 74. Was that the year that Bill Walton's Trailblazers, Mm. I think they beat the Sixers. And I'll never forget my late friend Sandy Pressman, who liked to bet occasionally on sports prior to it being legal. Mm. Uh, he People did that stuff? Yeah, back that's, back in the that's 70s that's and weird. 60s and 50s, yeah. And huh. they used to fix games, too. Well, they don't have to do that anymore because no, they, they can go to Superbook. <laughs> that's right. And they can use the code Glenn Clark 23 or Stan Charles 23. And they, and can, they don't need a fix. To, they'll they get up just... to – not only will they be able to do it legally, they get – Free bets. They can get up to two hundred fifty dollars in a same day first, first bet, bet match. match, win or lose. Yeah. So, man, what a what a world! Life has changed. So the Portland Trailblazers were down two zip, and I'll never forget Sandy saying, "I love the trail." And I go, "What?" And he goes, "This is when you love a team and they fall behind 2-0. Now, probably in, if he did this every time it happened, he yeah, would have lost, lost more than he won. Right? But I always remembered that him really loading up because the odds flip you know the astros were favored to win this series and then they were plus 400 after falling behind 2-0 now how are you feeling you know? oh if you mean if you got in at plus 400 you're feeling great right now the amazing sudden- thing though is and by the way it's been a week since we last talked I've, i'm not saying i've fallen in love with Derek jeter he's been much better this week much better. His content, his All right. personality I'll, I'll is coming out. To you, I, I don't think I've watched as much of the pre post game shows. Yeah, I've in the caught last... him a little bit. He's 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 decent. I still don't love the chemistry between the three of them, um, but but he's he's okay. He was touting Texas because of Houston's problem winning at home, but the problem with that theory was, yeah, Texas won the first two in Houston, but Texas has absolutely killed them in out there in Texas this right. year. You know, uh, the Astros have killed the Rangers, and they got one more there. They can take the lead in that series today. Well, whoever wins takes the lead 3-2. It's Verlander versus Montgomery, Montgomery yeah. again. It, it reminds, this is very reminiscent of the 2019 World Series, of course, where the Astros lost the two at home to the Nationals, then turned around one all three in D.C., and of course... They ended up losing in the most bizarre World Series in human history. They turned around and lost the two again at home, and it's the World Series where every game was won by the road team, which is one of the most inexplicable things in the history of baseball. I don't know how it'll play out, but to your point, the Astros now are favorites again because two out of the three games left would be at home, so they get the slight edge And Jeter would say, and pointed out rightly at the beginning of the series, Astros and I didn't realize that are not a under good, yep. 500 yep, at not home a good this home year. Team. Minus 125 for the Astros now, according to SuperBook. The Phillies are minus 425 to still hang on and beat the Diamondbacks despite losing Game Three. They'll go in opposite order today. It'll be the American League game first in the afternoon at five o'clock, followed by the National League game tonight. As um, all of a sudden, just a little bit more interesting than things looked a couple of days ago in the championship round. Stan, the other news in baseball yesterday, relevant for us locally, and I just wanted to get you to give your thoughts about it. 
Um, you know, there's. You all, may be telling me something I don't know at all. So go ahead. I don't um, mind. I, I'm sure you, you're. Yeah, there no. was a committee announcement for the Hall of Fame this oh, year. Oh no, no. Okay. Are you not? You weren't familiar uh, with this? Wasn't okay. Familiar. Okay. So there's. Um, and in fact, Jim Henneman, our own Jim Henneman, is part of the group that chooses yeah, that, the candidates for this particular committee. This is the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee for Managers, Executives, and Umpires. Okay. So, like all these other committees, they will meet at the winter meetings, uh, which are in Nashville this year. We had a heck of a time when the winter meetings were in Nashville. Maybe we should, maybe we should run it up the flagpole. It was a that was a good location for the winter meetings when we went down there the last. Remember, I walked in on Tommy Lasorda eating ribs in the corner of it. It was one of my favorite. You walked in on. I I walked into this. <laughs> I went out one night. I was invited out by our friend uh, Steve Gorman from the Black Crows. He said, "Hey, there's this live I music venue." Your story of this and and right by where Stan and I were staying on the corner, there was a place called John A's, which we we got a kick out of because of John, John Angelos, Angelo's right? It. That's where we broke the rumor. Right, that they, they were moving to Nashville because he already owned this restaurant. Right, right. that small, was on the small CD restaurant. Right. And I walk in just wanting a sweet tea. That's all I wanted was a sweet tea for the road. I'm like, I'm in Nashville. I could get a sweet tea for the road, I bet. So I walk in and I walk up to the bar. I'm like, I just want a sweet tea. And the guy says, sure. He said, are you a baseball fan? I said, yeah, I, I like baseball. He said, look over there. And I look over. Yeah, and Tommy, Tommy Lasorda. Going to town? With this giant plate of wow. ribs right in front of him. Just going to town. <laughs> there was a folk band on playing Will the Circle Be Unbroken. I mean, it was just one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. I said, I want to move into this seedy restaurant. He was there. It's a totally different. I wasn't with you, but he was yeah. there when I went in. And I remember you telling me that. Yeah. That he was. this was just his place, apparently, yeah. John A's. Not anymore. Yeah, sadly. sadly. See what happens when you eat a plate you think, of ribs you think late we, night? Oh, you think it was the ribs that killed Tommy Lasorda? <laughs> you think that was his undoing? I had ribs about a month ago. And I'm not a I, I'm a rib person, but these were the real th- kind of thick ones, and I ate about four ribs, and and it felt like I had, it felt like I had like m- meat in between. Oh yeah, in yeah, between yeah, my yeah, two. Yeah. So I kept I'm, I'm like trying to get my tongue to pull it out, you know. Like then I pull over and I get some some uh, dental floss. Yeah. And the thing's never coming out. It turns out they they were so strong those ribs that my tooth kind of moved over and was touching the other tooth. What? Yeah. What? Yep. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Gosh. Yeah. Might want to go to John A's for your ribs instead. Now they might kill you, unfortunately. Yeah. So I love the ribs at the Costas Inn. Never had that problem there. I don't know that I've ever had the ribs. I've had so many things at the Costas Inn. I don't know that I've ever They're had the ribs. Very good choice. You know, All right. Good. All right. I will take. I very will. solid. I'll go that route. Here's the list: eight candidates that were announced. Okay. Typically, with these committees, one maybe two tend to get in. Okay. First one. Uh, you know, I won't go in alphabetical order. I'll start with the relevant names locally. Don Mattingly? Not no. Don Mattingly. Relevant okay. to us. Okay. First one, Davey Johnson. Go ahead. Davey Johnson, of course, managed 17 seasons uh, after his playing career. This, I guess they're supposed to look over his entire baseball life right. when they consider that, even though the right. specific committee is for managers, executives, and umpires. Also relevant to us, Hank Peters, a nominee for this class for the Hall of Fame, uh, of course, helping the Orioles to win the World Series in 1983 as general manager. 
Name that's relevant to us but not popular in Baltimore. Fact, when you say his name, it normally in this town is followed by the word sucks. Cito Gaston is on this list. Of course, led the Blue Jays to World Series titles in 92 and 93. Uh, Another World Series champion winning manager, Jim Leland, is on this list. Also, someone who I think, to me, is the most likely candidate on the list. To me, if I had to set betting odds, he would be the closest to a favorite. Sweet Lou Pinella is on this list. And then um, some umpires. Cowboy Joe West is on the list. (laughs) And Ed Montague is on the list. Well, Ed Montague stands out the fact that he doesn't stand out. Right, the fact that we don't 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 immediately hate him, right? I couldn't tell you any any major thing. Joe West, in my opinion, was one of the worst umpires I ever saw not, behind the plate. Not Angel Hernandez, but not he's he's right in that. Yeah. The, the, they those two stand alone. Yep. You know. And then uh, someone who again did a lot of things throughout his career in baseball, Bill White, who uh, was a, he was an amazing player, a heck of a player, broadcaster, and uh, you know a league president. Yep. Yeah. Correct. So if if you had to rank maybe a top three on your list of this group. Who would be the three to you that you would go to the, the go to war for most in the room? Probably, probably Pinella, one, Leland two, Bill White three. Okay, and who was the first? Uh, Dave Johnson four. Okay, pro- probably in that order. Um, I think Johnson's. I, I I just think Pinella is really the standout for me. Both I agree a, with that as a player and as a difference maker at times as in his managerial career managed that great Seattle team yep, right absolutely. that won 100 uh was he still there at that point I'm pretty sure he was You might be right about that I can't I know he managed the teams in the mid 90s yeah. I don't know if he was still there in 01 but I'll double check he might have been you might yeah, be right about I that uh, who would have been managed? No, he would have been. Yep, because he, yeah. he was in Seattle till right. 02. And so then he had, he's the one that first brought Tampa yes. up a notch that set it in motion for Joe Madden. Yep. And you went, how? why are these Tampa? Pinella's years there were, were uh, they were progressing a little bit. You know? I- ironically, like his, his shortest tenure as a manager is what he's most associated with mm-hmm. because he won the World Series with the Cincinnati Reds in 1990. But, it was his short of all of his stints as a manager. It was his shortest one. Yeah, only spending three years in Cincinnati. I agree with you that Pinella is the most slam dunk to me. Of the, like, there's a part of me that says, "How is Lou Pinella not already in the Hall of Fame?" I'll be honest with you. To me, I throw like a a little bit of a blanket over the three that I mentioned: Pinella, Leland, and White. White's importance to me. One of the first, maybe the first. He, he was a play-by-play announcer for the Yankees for about a dozen years. Uh, and that was an important role for a, a black and African-American to take, you, you know, because know, there's so few of them. I hate, I don't, I, far be it for me to be a guy that says something about Cito Gaston in this town. Right. But much like Tony Dungy got in before a lot of, Tony Dungy got into the Pro Football Hall of Fame before Jimmy Johnson did. Right. And I do wonder if at some point there is some sort of significance to saying this was the first ever black manager to win a World Series. 
we should probably recognize that in the way that we view his candidacy and the significance of what that meant for baseball beyond just like it's significant enough that he won two it's, world series it's a good reason that i think white will get in i think they will be observant of of race in that and it does play a part look uh, gaston had a a pretty darn good managerial career not great um, certainly would have been liked a lot better in this town had he uh, just put Mike Messina in the effing game. game. Yeah. It's an exhibition game. <laughs> Maybe put the guy in from the hometown instead of Dwayne Ward. Right. Maybe you just do that. Doesn't seem like it'd be all that yeah. difficult. Yeah. Um, I think that I'm largely in agreement with your list too. Yeah. Like I, Jim Le- Jim Leland's an interesting one because I don't know that he has to be in the Hall of Fame, but I also don't know as you manage your managers why he wouldn't be worthy of the Hall of Fame. He won it, a championship with with the with Marlins, the Marlins yes, right? Correct. Him and Jack McKeon were the man the Marlins managers when they won right, the World Series right. title. So yeah. He's he's very much like Earl Weaver without the couple World Series, you know. That's a fair, actually an Earl only won, won the one, one yeah, series. exactly yeah. right, and yet he got in. So yeah. that's a fair that's a yeah. fair standard, yeah. right? If Earl Weaver's in, yeah, then what's the real difference between an Earl Weaver yeah. and a Jim? Love Lee? to see the difference in their winning percentage. His 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 tough time was when he went out to Colorado. Oh yeah, where South they Colorado. sort of said, "Hey, now we got in addition to spending pretty good money on our uh, on our roster." We've got a top-tier manager, and he didn't do much at all out to, there. To your point, um, man, he, I forgot he was only there for the one season. In Colorado? Yeah, he went 72-90 and 90 in that one season. Yeah. He finished basically at 500, just over 500. 1769 and 1722 was his That's career, his career record. Career record. In fairness, uh, Bruce Bochy's a Hall of Famer, and I don't even know if he's at 500 for right, his career. Right, for the years. Now, that's the difference. San he won, Diego, he won yeah. three World Series, yeah. so that's a completely yeah. different story. We'll find out uh, if uh, David Johnson at the Johnson winter baseball, at meetings, the baseball yeah. meetings at John A's. Correct. They'll they'll get together at John A's with plate of ribs and decide. Why don't we just dr- forget talking running up? Why don't we just drive there just to go to John A's to John and then A's. come back? Yeah. I'm not opposed. See if to John it. A will meet us there. I'm not opposed to it. All right, Stan Van Charles is in studio with us this morning. Speaking of honors, this weekend uh, there will be another honor. That'll be given out. It'll be the Ring of Honor. And Terrell Suggs will go into the Ring of Honor for the Baltimore Ravens this weekend. Joining us now here on GCR, former Ravens defensive coordinator and NFL head coach. He is Coach Mike Nolan, and he's back with us now here on GCR. Coach, it's Glenn Clark. Stan Charles is in studio with me this morning. Always appreciate you taking some time for us. Thanks so much for hopping on. Sure, Glenn. Sure, Stan. Yeah, nice to be on with you. Coach, I wonder if you could take me back to 2003 and the draft process and how much input you had. If you were in love with Terrell Suggs, if you said this guy had a million sacks in college, we, we got to have him. Or if maybe you would be honest and say, I don't know if he was even the guy that I really wanted at that point. <laughs> you know, I don't know if the story's been told yet, but um, back when we, the year we drafted Terrell, um, he had a workout plan down at ASU, Arizona State, where he'd gone to school, and uh, everyone was looking forward to it. And we went down there, and everyone wanted to know what his time was going to be, be- uh, from the 40, uh, for whatever reason. I can't remember that, but I know that was an important part of being drafted. Uh, everyone knew he was going to be a top 10 player. So, anyway, I went down to the workout, and uh, um, he 
he didn't know how to run at all. And he ran like a four, eight, six or something like that, almost a four, nine 40, which everyone thought for sure he'd run easily a four, six. Uh, and I'll say this, he certainly played at a four, six all the time, but he actually didn't know how to run. I mean, when, when they started his 40, he stood straight up and then started to run. So he, anyway, he came out of it with a really bad time and everybody walked away from the workout kind of thinking, Oh, wow. The time was not near what we thought it was going to be. And they're really disappointed. But, um, Phil Savage was a scout with the Ravens at the time. And he and I both were walking in the parking lot. And I remember we passed each other and uh, Phil looked at me and said, you know what? He said, I think we were picking at 10. He said, we got a chance to get this guy. And I, because before that we thought, you know, he wasn't going to fall to us because Arizona was picking real high and naturally he was a hometown boy. So everyone thought he would go there, but, um, sure enough in the draft, another thing that happened was, so the draft comes about uh, a month or so later and um, we think we still might have a chance to get him, but um, we weren't really sure. But anyhow, that was the year that there was a trade in the first top uh, 10 between Minnesota and someone else to try and get the quarterback from Byron, Marshall. Byron Leftwich, yep, absolutely. Yes, and they fouled it all up, and they went over the time, and everybody started scrambling to throw their picks in because if you pass when you're picking in the draft, the next team can immediately – take their guy. They don't wait for you if your 10 or 15 minutes has gone by. So immediately teams were jumping in real fast. And as it turned out, it kind of caused uh, uh, a tumble effect where Terrell came down to us and we got him, you know, I think it was 10, but we got him at 10. And had that not happened, uh, two things, had he not run the poor 40 and had there not been that, that kind of that foul up within the draft, I don't know that we'd have gotten him at 10 like we did. So, we were really lucky and fortunate to, to get him. Um, now, outside of that, I'm pretty sure everybody was on the same page that if he fell to us, I think everyone in the room, Ozzy and, and Eric and everybody, all the coaches, everybody was, was on board for Terrell. We just didn't think we were going to get him when we were picking, but sure, you know, it turned out, but he did. But I remember the, the 40 distinctly was something that really hurt him at the time, and it was only because he had no idea how to run. Nobody really coached him up on on you know how to run it's kind of like a track you know a track man if you don't if you don't know how to run you're not going to win the race and uh, that's so that hurt him but anyhow that's really what went down the day of the draft and, and again leading up to it um those were some of the things that helped us get him mike how unique is it to have a player like suggs when you already have a ray lewis hmm. who is clearly using the vernacular the alpha dog and then you get suggs who became like really, I find that very rare that you get a second alpha dog on the same team. How did that help the defense that you had those two in sort of insane personalities? Well, the truth be told, there was only one alpha dog in, in the Raven locker room, <laughs> and that was Ray. Yeah. Anybody else that walked in, because we had Ed Reed on our team also. That's a good and, point. Uh, and so they, they, there was that defense was full of, of, of leaders. But at the time, uh, when Terrell came in, Terrell was not really as serious. I think he had played off of just God-given talent most of the mm-hmm. time when he was a young young kid, certainly in college. And when he came in, he really was you just he wasn't as serious about football as a lot of guys. Things came very easy for him. Um, we had him in the locker in the uh, in the linebacker uh, meeting rooms when he first got there. We were in a three four, which is what they stayed most of the years after that. But um, I remember Ozzy coming to me and kind of feeling like like Terrell really wasn't getting what he needed in in that room. And uh, with that 
in mind, uh, we kind of moved him over to the defensive line room. This is his first year. We moved him to the defensive line room with Rex, um, and Rex really did a great job with, uh, I think, and I think T. Sizzle, which is what they, you know, obviously they called Terrell. Um, I think he would 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 agree with the fact that when he went over that Rex was a was really a, a a huge part in his early development to becoming a a really good player. And and I and I remember we did it about midseason. We moved him from the linebacker room to the D line room because we were using him primarily as a pass rusher anyway right. in his early years. And uh, and Rex did just a remarkable job with uh, honing in on his skills. And that was really yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a lot of, like I said, a lot of credit goes to Rex in the development of uh, of Terrell in his early years. So, but as far as personality goes, I don't think he really took over from a leadership standpoint yeah. until you know Ray and Ed had kind of parted, you know, part of the team. Uh, that's when that's when Terrell was really enabled, you know, enabled himself great, to kind of great point step into that role. Great point, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Coach, I, it, Mike Nolan is with us here on GCR. Coach, one of the things that stands out, and again, I don't know how much of it you fully experienced because it wasn't much longer after that, of course, that you took the head coaching job out in San Francisco. But the story, what you just said about Terrell when he arrived, he's basically just a pass rush specialist, and then. By the time his career was over, what was maybe the most underappreciated part about Terrell Suggs was he became a complete linebacker. I mean, he became – you could put him in coverage, and he was handling himself throughout the course of his career. How impressed were you by the evolution of Terrell Suggs, both what you saw when you still had him and then what you watched from afar as you continued on in the NFL and how he became this utterly complete player from just being a pass rush specialist when he arrived? Um, you know, that's a great point because I did, I did, we coached him two, or I was there for two more years and coached him. And then I went to the 49ers and I remember watching him from afar and I was really pleased to see cause, cause he's really a good kid and I was pulling for him all the time, but he, he got, like you said, he, he became a complete player and I don't think it was just his, his, uh, the, the abilities that he showed on the field and playing and being versatile. I think it was as much as just his maturity uh, of being around guys like Ray and Ed, who really took football seriously. Because um, like I said, early on, he was just a happy, go play, have a great time, you know, life is great. He was that kind of guy when he first got there. And I think the fact that he got so much, you know, he got serious about his craft. And um, um, I tell you, it was, it was a pleasure, obviously, to watch him. It's always uh, it's always nice when you when you coach, you know, good guys and they – they uh, they mature and become as as good as he did, you know. Uh, but he had he's always had a lot of talent. It was just a matter of I'll say this: had he not gone to the Ravens, I don't know that he would have achieved as much as he did, hmm. just because of of the mindset of the defense that was there and the guys he was around. Uh, people like Ray and Ed raised a lot of people's level as far as being professionals, and uh, I think Sizzle, you know, he benefited a ton from being around those two guys. Not just him, but everybody else as well. But um, you know, it was it enabled him to really grow as a player and, and be what he became. Did you like the freakishness part of it? And and you pointed out obviously he had the disappointing forty at the pro day, but what he had done in college was insane. Were you convinced that the freakishness, just the the sheer athleticism, size, all of that, would always play for him to be successful no matter what? Uh, yeah, I think so. Cause he was pretty, I mean, he was a big, thick, yeah. big boned kind of guy. He wasn't a small guy. He wasn't a guy that pumped himself all up, you know, 
to get big. I mean, he was naturally a big man. Um, and his tape, like we said, you know, he, he ran every bit of a four, six or faster when he played the game. So when he did have the slow time at his workout, it, it, uh, it shocked a lot of people, but, but for us, we got real excited as I've already told you. So, uh, but again, very, you know, with all that talent that he had and uh, being around the guys that he was, um, it was, it was just a matter of time, but I don't, I don't know how many years, uh, what did, what did Terrell play in the end? What did he play 15, 14 yeah, years or uh, more? Yeah. He was in the league or 16 yeah, through 19. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, 16 years. Yeah, he played a very long time. Yeah. So look, you have to, you, you have to have a lot of give, give a lot of God given talent to last that long with the beating that it takes on your body. Um, but he played in a lot of big games. He helped the team win a lot of big games. He won a Super Bowl naturally. Um, there's a, a lot of good things, uh, while, while sizzle was there. Hey, I got to ask you one. I know Glenn had you on to talk about Sizzle, but whenever mm-hmm. I think the name Mike Nolan, I think of your dad, Dick Nolan, because when mm-hmm. I was becoming a football fan, he was always on the sidelines there. And then when I think of him, I think of John Brody. I'm wondering, did mm-hmm. you, how old were you when your dad was coaching Brody, and what kind of relationship did you have with John Brody? Uh, I was, uh, we moved to California to, for my father to be the head coach there in 1968. I was nine years old. Okay. Uh, we stayed there for eight or nine years. I think he was the head coach for nine years. Maybe my father was, uh, eight years, something like that. But so again, I was, I became my early teens. Um, I think I was about, uh, 16 or 17 when he was fired. So again, I was a teenager. I got to know the players pretty well. As a matter of fact, as a kid, that was, I was always kind of a locker room kid, you know, that was always hanging around, helping out to hand out jock socks and T-shirts and things like that. And so I got to know the players pretty good. But I will say, as far as John Brody goes, he was a very mature, older player when my dad got the okay. team. And, um, you know, my my interaction with him was more just watching him play. He was, he was also a Stanford guy, and John Brody was, you know, he was a golfer off the yep. field, and I was yep. kind of just a little kid, so... Uh, but John was a very good player. Um, I thought their relationship was, was as any head coach would be with a quarterback. It had its good days and it's not so good yeah. days. Uh, but, uh, John was a great player on that team. You know, they, they had three, uh, they went to the playoffs three years, the championship game, two out of the three, and it was ended by Dallas all three years in the playoffs. Dallas was the team that beat them. But, um, John Brody, like I said, was, was a very good player. You know, Gene Washington was, was a yep. wide receiver and several other guys over the years, but they had some really good years in the early seventies. And then, uh, and then they kind of fell off the map until that, uh, until about 10 years later or yep. about five or six years later, I think yep. they ca- they came back and that's when the, uh, yeah, the Bill Walsh, the Bill, Bill Walsh area started about five years after my father left. Yeah. Uh, I think um, I, w- so. I think I went to a jock socks and t-shirts party in college. I'm pretty sure I was at one of those things. Co- <laughs> Coach, uh, before we let you go, I saw you got back in. Um, you know, just when they thought you were out, you got back in. You yeah. were involved with the USFL yeah. this year and coaching in Michigan. Yeah. What was that experience uh-huh. like? Um, and how good did you think the talent was that you were working with out there? You know, I love the experience. Uh, I'm looking forward to, to this year going back. You know, we've got. We've got the merger talk going on right now, so right. we'll see what happens with all that. But uh, the experience was very good. I mean, I enjoyed the people that were in there. It's a, it's a kind of a minimal, you know, we have only eight coaches on the staff, but uh, our, our objective is to try and be a feeder to the NFL. We're trying to get our guys to the league. And on our team, we have a little better than about 40 players, 
and uh, we had 20 guys get workouts in the NFL, which is pretty good. Of our of our you know 40 plus guys, when we had 10 of them go to training camp and five of them stuck on teams, they're all on practice squad. But that's a I, for me, I felt pretty good about that. I thought with with our first year in with our guys, but a great experience, great league. I think the talent in the league is is good, and I believe it'll only get better if we get if the merger does occur because I think once that happens. The NFL can, can uh, I think, identify with us, and we can start to work together, possibly. And I think that's what would happen in the long run. And, and when that happens, um, you know, and we're being used by the NFL, I think, with a lot of their players, that uh, I think that really just improves the talent that we have. Because right now, we, like I was just saying, how many guys we have, but that would only increase or maybe even double if, uh, if this merger thing occurs. Because, like I said, then the NFL can kind of, uh, can identify with us right now. I think there's, a, you know, there would be there's still a little hangup if if uh, if if there's two leagues as far as the NFL choosing sides. In uh, this way, it'd just be one one entity. And so, but anyway, I think it's it's good football. The guys are all in it. The coaches are in it. It's it's really a lot of fun. I really do. I, I enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed any coaching I've ever done. That's cool. Coach, coach, I'll be 72 in January. Any chance you need like a water boy? Or a ball boy, <laughs> or jack socks and t-shirts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> hey, at seven, at seventy-two, you might be the offensive coordinator. <laughs> um, Mike Nolan, it's so good to catch up with you, sir. I've missed chatting with you this last couple of years, and having you here in town. Great to hear your voice, my friend. Continued success in the uh, USFL. Thanks for taking a couple of minutes with us this morning. Thank you very much. I'm always here for you guys, too, if you want to talk. Thank Thanks. you, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Coach Mike Nolan, one of the best. Great Appreciate job. him taking time for us. Of course, uh, Stan brings up Dick Nolan. Maryland legend Dick Nolan, That's right. of course. Yeah. All right, when we come back in, uh, Press Box Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka will get ready for Sunday and the big Ravens-Lions showdown, which is still a weird sentence to say. Stan, you had a busy week this week. You caught up with not only Ross and Luke. Ross and Luke. Then but also. I, then I talked to Buck Davidson, yes. one of the riders. He's riding the uh, Saka, Saka, Sakura Maya. Are we allowed to say that on the radio? Saka, Sakura Maya. Oh, right. uh, and I saw him yesterday do the dressage with him. Cool. Buck Davidson. Cool. And then uh, last night I talked to Mike Gibbons about Museum. the uh, Babe Ruth Museum the special it's not i don't want to make you go 100 miles out of your way but if you uh, are thinking about seeing something that's poignant to Brooks Robinson they got a nice little exhibit that they put up there um for Brooks Robinson and he's also a member of the uh nominating committee for the uh Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame and we talked about the show coming up um the banquet coming up the Hall of Fame induction uh, which includes Dominic Dawes, Adrian Dantley, Harold Solomon, and we're going to talk to Steve Darty, the executive yeah. director, coming up at 11.20. But you can find all those shows, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Click on the videos tab, go to youtube.com slash pressboxonline or pressboxonline.com slash video. Bo Smolka next, Glenn Clark Radio. Come for a game, stay for everything else. Book an unforgettable fall getaway in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouthwatering eats, and endless entertainment. Treat yourself to a staycation in the heart of downtown or try one of the city's many charming neighborhood hotels. And don't miss out on packages for free parking, breakfast, and more. Plan your stay at baltimore.org hotels. 
Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best and use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. The Maryland Five Star returns to iconic Fair Hill October 19th to 22nd, marking the next chapter in Maryland's equestrian tradition. Best described as the triathlon of horse eventing, you won't want to miss this thrilling sport. Enjoy a fall festival with local fair, retail vendors, and tons of family fun. Come for the event and stay for the experience in Cecil County, home to the Chesapeake Bay waterfront with vibrant small towns and accommodations to suit every desire. It's the place to be in October. Visit Maryland5star.us for tickets. What's up, everyone? It's Tyus Bowser, and I've had so much fun hanging out with Rita and putting up with Glenn the last couple years that I've decided to do it again. Season three of the Tyus Bowser Show is happening this year as we'll be all over town, giving you the chance to get to know me and some of my teammates. As we talk football, life in general, and just say what needs to be said, you can find out more about the show by going to pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. If you don't live in the area, you can watch the shows live on Facebook and YouTube. And if you miss one, you can listen Friday nights at 105.7 a fan. So we'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. A partnership, a press box, and great ace memorabilia. The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, November 7th at Guilford Home Brewery in Station North. It's brought to you by A.J. Michaels, Superbook Sports, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels, heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis, AJMichaels.com. Make the most out of every day in your Toyota RAV4. Available in hybrid or gas-only models. A RAV4 can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new RAV4s from your local Toyota dealer today. Make sure you're tuned in every Tuesday for Pressbox Fantasy Football Analyst Joe Serpico to get you ready for your Waiver Wire Wednesday, brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel. And if you have other fantasies you want fulfilled, subscribe to Glenn and Jeremy Kahn's OnlyFans page at... Wait, are people supposed to know about that? All right, back in here on GCR. It is a Friday edition of the program. Stan the Fan Charles is in studio with us. Project Game Day returns this Sunday following Ravens-Lions. Join myself, Rita, 
Femi Ayambadejo and a cast of characters as we react to whatever occurs in Sunday's game. It's all brought to you by AJ Michaels, Superbook Sports, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. You can find out more pressboxonline.com slash game day, Facebook.com slash pressboxsports, or YouTube.com slash pressboxonline to watch the show. Project Game Day Sunday and every game day this season, we will be with you. Make sure you come join us and check us out. Stan, you and I not feeling great about the the Ravens, at least on the betting line on Sunday. No, we. Uh, this is to me, this is the toughest game of the season so far. Uh, I still feel good about our picks when we picked them against the Colts and the Steelers. Yeah, it's, we had, we made the this right pick. They screwed it up. Yeah, yeah. they screwed it yeah, up. Right. <laughs> right. You know that, that makes me feel I, I, I like my betting that. history right. in hey, all sports. It's not on me. I, it's not on, on them. Me. It's right. Uh, this one is one of the tougher Ravens games that that I really I grinded at at coming to a decision, but I ended up thinking just too many poor decisions in the coaching department for me. Uh, uh, this man is not involved on the betting side of things, but I, I want to ask him the question about why the Ravens should be favored because I think that's one of the things that Stan and I struggled with this week. Uh, joining us now, our press box Ravens beat writer, he is Bo Smolka. And he's back with us on GCR. Bo, I know gambling is not your thing, but I have struggled all week with the idea that the Ravens are three-point favorites. And I get it. You can say, hey, they should be 6-0 and at this point, and they've all, but they're not. They, they've lost two games, and they've struggled in the second half. And the Lions are in every way legit. Does it make sense to you that the Ravens are favored by three points going into Sunday? Well, first of all, I love horse racing, but I don't gamble on, on team sports. I wasn't allowed to when I worked in college, and I just haven't. Yeah. Um, to answer your question, maybe it's the home field thing. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. You can make an argument that the Lions have played better and deserve to be favored. Someone, John Arbaugh, was asked about that earlier this week, about, you know, is it, is it worth three points at home? Does that mean these teams are essentially viewed as equals? Maybe. I mean, the Ravens could be 6-0, but like we said before, uh, the old bar sells on you are what your record is says you are and this team right. is flawed enough that they're not and so i think you can certainly make an argument that the ravens should not be favored but yeah they're home and that certainly carries some weight but the second half thing and some of the numbers have been shared out this week in the first half of games this season they are one of the most successful offenses in all of football and I get that, to some extent, the numbers should change when you lead games in the second half. And you, But I don't think it should start changing in the third quarter. I don't think it should – like that part of it, what do you make of their struggles to hold on to leads, to keep their foot on the gas, and how much that needs to change moving forward for this football team? Yeah, right. It's been really interesting. We can think of a couple games where they were just – so effective right out of the gate and now whether it's the 20 scripted plays or whatever they might have but they look they fully operate in the first two drives two or three drives and then it kind of goes away and i know we asked lamar jackson about that this week and he said well they're making adjustments well i mean if they're making adjustments then you need to make adjustments that's pretty obvious so someone is someone's doing something right to, to, to stop them and the ravens are not adjusting as well and why that is, is, is a fair question. And I, but it is, it's been noticeable. I hadn't known the numbers till I also saw them this week. I didn't realize how dramatic it was, but it does. It just feels like at certain times, like the, the offense specifically just kind of stalls. And 
whether it's execution with a fumble or an interception or just not moving the ball, not converting third downs, things are changing. Um, and I can't put my finger on exactly specifically what, but to hear Lamar Jackson say, well, other teams are adjusting, that's not good enough because if they're doing it and stopping you, then you better do something to change that. And at times, it hasn't. Bo, uh, this week, would it be fair to say that the Lions are playing as good a defense as the Ravens will have faced at this point this season? I mean, when the Cleveland Browns, when they played the, yeah, Browns, the Browns, the Browns were, were head and shoulders, the number one defense in the yeah. league. Now, I know it was early and, and, and things are skewed by maybe a couple weeks and ratings those first couple weeks are kind of odd. But the Browns have consistently stayed right up there as one of the best defenses in the league. So I yeah, don't know and, if I'd say that. The Browns, by all metrics, have been really, really good. And the Ravens, the Ravens stared them down and ran over them. You remember, they got to the red zone four times and they scored all four times. Um, and so that was impressive, but yeah, the Lions are Lions defense is good. I don't know if I'd put them better than Cleveland or how to quantify that, but they're going to have to execute like they did against Cleveland to win. Uh, Bo Smoke, a press box Ravens beat writer, is with us here on GCR. But I, I think what's interesting to me about it, the offensive issues is it seems like well, you can also point out turnovers have been a problem and the fumbles, but it feels like the biggest issue is. They're not the only success they're having running the football consistently is when Lamar Jackson runs the football. And it's so bizarre because we're coming out of a period where the Ravens' greatest success offensively was running the football. I, I don't know if it's a personnel problem. I don't know if it's up front. Can you dissect why it is? I think most people are pretty good with Gus Edwards and Justice Hill, have liked in doses what they've seen from those guys this year. Do you have a sense for why they're not having more consistent success running the ball with their running backs this year? I, you know, without without going back and watching all these plays, it just seems there's times they're getting beaten up front. Yeah. And for example, I think with I haven't done the numbers crunching, but it strikes me that Gus Edwards is being hit at the line or for a loss way more this year than he has in previous years. And maybe that's partly the line, maybe it's part Gus Edwards, maybe it's part the blocking schemes, whatever it is. But that, I think, between the tackles, they are just not getting the surge or the holes that they had in the past. And I know we, we, we've often viewed Gus Edwards as the between the tackles back and, Ed, and uh, just, Justice Hill as more of a edge running back and getting outside. I think Gus Edwards has the ability more than he gets credit for, at least in previous years has had the ability to, to get outside. Uh, sometimes we've seen him get outside, and I'm like, wow, he's, he's faster than people think. But to my eye, they're just not winning up front, and they're not winning those one-on-one battles in the inside that allows them to run between the tackles like they had. Um, and, I, you know, I was, I was the biggest critic of the fade pattern at the goal line last, last yes. um, two weeks ago when he threw the interception. And so I was all in favor of running the ball now down near the goal line. Well, they ran the ball down the goal line, and they couldn't score that way either this past week. A couple of those were Jackson running wide, a couple more Edwards inside, and it didn't work. I agree with you. I still think Lamar Jackson running is their best weapon, and they are seem to be motivated or determined to get away from that. And maybe it's trying to keep Jackson upright. Maybe it's trying to keep him healthy. Maybe it's because they did do all this investment in the passing game, and by golly, we are going to be a passing team. Just watch. But that's not really working right now in some respects. Rashad Bateman kind of looks lost, and mm-hmm. Odell Beckham hasn't been much of a factor. 
And I, I you know, so the passing game is not nearly what I think they thought it would look like. Yeah, I Dave mean, Flowers has been everything they expected that, that him to part, be. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. yeah it seems. But, to, but it, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. No, I was just to say. But so, to my mind, Lamar. It's just what Glenn said. Lamar Jackson running the ball is still their best play, and they may not want it to be that way. But so far this year, it looks just like other years in that respect. I wasn't always a Greg Roman hater, but it seems like some of the the lack of running has to do with sort of the change of emphasis that they're, they they wanted to move away from being a predominantly running team that passed once in a while to being a team that, that passes an awful lot and makes big plays. And the trade-off has been some of the loss of effectiveness in the running game. It's sort of a mentality. I don't think they have that mentality that we're going to bulldoze people over, you know. No, I think they did make a conscious effort to become more of a passing team. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. And and I mean, look, what they they drafted Flowers, they brought in uh, Beckham, they brought in Aguilar. They wanted to be more of a passing team, and they have a better passing offense than they did in previous few years. There's no doubt about it with the personnel. It's absolutely a better passing offense in terms of personnel. It hasn't always showed up. And I will say though, to Lamar Jackson's credit, and I don't know what, what the um, I don't know what his responsibilities have changed in terms of ability to change the line of scrimmage, but it looked to me, and I wasn't in London, but it looked to me like on at least two of their big pass plays last week, they were changes that Lamar Jackson made at the line of scrimmage. The long pass to Beckham down the seam and the, the early pass to Aguilar both to me looked like plays where he checked into them, and they turned out to be big plays. No doubt. Um, but overall, overall, for the personnel they have and for the money they've invested, that passing game has not looked like they want it to look. And John Harbaugh said this week, well, this offense is still kind of a work in progress. We're still kind of building it, is how he described it, and that's fair. But we're now we're into the seventh game of a 17-game season, and this was kind of built to win now with the money they spent, and they need to win now. The calculus there, Bo, was that not play. You know, I understand the risk and reward that you didn't want to play your, your key offensive players in the preseason, but, you know, how much do you accomplish in preseason games versus practice, you know? And I think the, the need may have been greater on this particular team to be able to hit the ground running to have played a little bit in the preseason. Well, that was always a risk, right? There was always a worry that they're going to come out having no preseason time right. and hardly any, you know, hardly any snaps together until the game's counted, and then how long would it take to get up to speed? But, I mean, remember that Cincinnati game, they looked, week two, they looked to really be in a rhythm in that second game. And to me, the more alarming thing is after that week two game, it's just been kind of fits and starts. And you're, I, you haven't seen the kind of, gradual ascension you would like to see over the course of five or six weeks as they really get up to speed. Um, so, yeah, and now Harbaugh is in a bit of a can't win in that situation because if you, if you play those guys and Jackson gets hurt or Beckham gets hurt, and then they're killing him for it. And I, I get that, um, but I don't know the answer there. He certainly, the, the Dobbins injury a couple of years ago absolutely has informed him in terms of yeah, um, no question. Informed of in terms of play, uh, preseason action, but watching them that second game in Cincinnati and and being able to move the ball the way they did, it looked like oh here this is what they wanted to look like. 
but it hasn't really looked like that a lot. And that's obviously a, a, a cause for concern. And now it's got a really good Detroit team coming in that could make them uncomfortable again. Pressbox Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka with us in this month's print issue of Pressbox. He's got a fun story up about how college football passed uh, still continues to play out inside the Ravens' locker room and how it drives conversation and the relationships that Ravens players share as they celebrate their college teams. You can check that out in that print issue of Pressbox, which is available for free right now at your neighborhood Royal Farms, any of the hundreds of locations around town where you find Pressbox. But there were two other things I wanted to touch on before I let you go, the first being on the flip side of the ball, and we uh, we had him out for the Tyus Bowser show this year. Jadeveon Clowney has been a revelation this season. I mean, it's... it's so far beyond what could have been reasonably expected from him when he arrived. And you can even say, I think Kyle Van Noy has been more impactful than, than most people believed that he could be arriving when he did. The trade deadline is coming up, right? We are about uh, 12 days away from the trade or 11 days at this point away from the trade deadline. And we have seen the Ravens be active. I had said all along, I thought the biggest area of need was an impact edge rusher. So I asked this question, remembering the great start that Justin Houston got off to a year ago and how deceiving that proved to be. Do you feel like the Ravens are set now at edge rush? They'll get Adafi Owe back. Or do you still think that could stand out? And where else do you feel like they could at least be looking if they are going to indeed again be active at the deadline this year? Yeah, well, first of all, with Clowney, I totally agree with you. I think back to, like, in the past years, we've seen them with Justin Houston or Jason Pierre-Paul last year where you, you pull off a – you know, a mid-season or an early-season acquisition for a veteran free agent who might come in and play a little bit. And, and we didn't know what Clowney would have left or what he would look like after the past couple of years. He's been absolutely everything they could have hoped for. I mean, just – and John Harbaugh said in London on Sunday, oh, I, he was always, he's always been a Raven. He didn't know it until he got here. And I asked Clowney this week, what, what, you know, <laughs> when he heard Harbaugh say that, what do you think he meant? And Clowney is just – raving about the organization the culture he says he loves coming to work he loves being with the people here he just feels completely re-energized and he's playing like it having said that he's also a guy that could easily wear down over 17 games and so i would not rule out them looking still for an edge rusher i know there's still questions about long-term questions about ajabo and bowser and always back now but i wouldn't be surprised to see them look for an edge rusher um other than that, I think they might still look in the secondary when they look around and see Marcus Williams hurt again. True, they're thin at safety right now, um, and I don't know what they what when Marcus Williams will be back and what they'll get when they get him back. And and it's hard because he hardly ever missed a game when he was with the Saints, and then he came here and he's he's been hurt a lot. You can't predict that. In fact, when they signed him, they praised his durability, and then it, it happens. It happened with Chuck Clark when he left here too. So. That's tricky. I think they might still look in the secondary for help. And Eric DaCosta loves, loves to make trades. Um, so I think he'll be looking. It, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, to me, in my mind, the trade deadline was still quite a ways off, but it really isn't. Yeah. It's, it's uh, so, two games away, right? Yeah. It, it's coming up. Yeah. Has anything happened with the guy that Denver released? Frank, uh, what's his Did name? Frank Clark signed somewhere. I Did he don't sign know anywhere? I do don't know, actually. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm I hadn't right seen now. his name pop up that he signed anywhere. Apparently, he had a physical with the Chiefs, and he's going to re-sign there. Okay. So, and that makes sense. He that was makes there for sense, a while. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, he was there. And then I'm going to give this to both of you guys before I let you go. Bo Terrell Suggs goes into the Ring of Honor this weekend. Uh, looking ahead, we assume that whenever Joe Flacco announces his retirement, he would be the next logical choice. But aside from that, is there someone who would be eligible already that you particularly think deserves to be in the Ring of Honor, right? Like, let's just say that Joe doesn't announce his retirement. The Ravens don't have someone lined up for next year. Is there someone that do you you feel like should be in that next year would be a perfect opportunity for them to do that if they don't have Joe Flacco going in? Uh, that's a good question. I'd have to, I haven't really thought of it, and no one no one comes to mind. But that's not that I'm uh, forgetting or thinking about it. Um, I'll throw two names out. One is Tony right. Tony Siragusa, and the other is David Modell. I've always felt that David Modell belongs in the Ring of Honor. Well, there you go. Yeah, but there I don't think the I, mean, I don't think the football I don't think the football powers that be uh, yeah, agree with me strongly about it. I tend yeah. to agree with that, and I've made the argument for Tony no. Saragusa too before, and I I do feel as though beyond just what he did on the football field, he's deserving of it. Um, I actually the the guy that I feel like is just from a football standpoint is totally worth it, Bo. I think Sam Cook is a Ring of Honor guy. I'm. I, yeah, I, yeah I, that's a great point. I get he only made one pro ball, but that's almost a goof because they sort of gave the pro ball to whoever had the biggest distance as right. a punter was concerned. Right. He was an effective punter. He was a wildly effective punter. and hey, He Super played ball. more games than anyone in the history of the team. That's also I mean, true. whatever you want to say else, he's played more games than anyone in the history of the team. I, so <laughs> that helps, too. That's a fair question. That's a fair one. I, I feel strongly that Sam Cook is worthy of Ravens' Ring of Honor consideration. I don't know how they feel about that. We will find out. Uh, at That's B. Smolka on Twitter. I'll say this. For yeah. what it's worth, for what it's worth, Sam Cook had the full – he had the full retirement press conference set up, so I, he's very – and obviously yeah, he's still working for that's them. A, so that's yeah. a good point. Highly, they highly they did treat him significantly yeah. when he yeah. announced his retirement. That is a fair point and maybe shows that they do think of him that yeah. way. That's a great point, that, that they'd be willing to honor him yeah. like that. And a great point by Bo. Yeah. At B. Smolka on Twitter is how you follow him. Pressboxonline.com is where you see all of his stuff. Bo, always appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again next Friday, all right? All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Bo. Bo Smolka, press box Ravens beat writer. Um, the other one that was, I had this conversation with some friends this week. That's why I thought of it, yeah. and I wanted to bring. I, we thought we were going to have a bunch of open segments today. As it turns out, last minute uh, we filled up all those open segments today. So this was on my list of topics to get to: is who else should still go in? And I know you've talked a lot about David Modell. You and I have talked a lot about Tony Saragusa. Yeah. And I, 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 I agree. I just somehow always assumed Goose was in there, and I realized he didn't have the the breadth and width of what you do. But when you talk about the building impact, up a yes. franchise, yes. He, he did it on the field and he created the touch off the field. No one. And you could argue David Modell is the closest one. Exactly. To that, right. Exactly. But as far as establishing this franchise yeah. and the relationship with this yeah. city, there is no one yeah. that impacted like Tony Saragusa yeah. did. And I feel strongly about that. I think that. they have their blinders on about David. In other words, I don't think it's like they think about him that much. Right. But I think they sort of say, well, that's Art's son. For, for those of us that were around the franchise when it moved here, he did the heavy lifting sure did. of putting that team on the map in this established town. the relationship with um, media partner John Zeman and the band, yep. and he went yep. out of his way yep. to ingratiate himself, his family, and the franchise in Baltimore. And it's hard, particularly for someone Griffin's age, to understand 
that was a thing you had to do yeah. because there was a lot of awkwardness surrounding the Ravens' yeah. arrival in 96. Um, remember, the, remember the night after the Super Bowl, I think it was six or eight months later, or was it right afterwards? That they that was right afterwards. They brought the trophy well, that one was night thing. at the Senator Movie Theater. He wanted everyone, everyone in town to touch, to touch the trophy. Yeah. That was David Modell specifically said, yeah. I want this to be yours. Yeah. I, I, there was no standoff. Look, I'm not trying to criticize the current Ravens. I get that money I understand money that. has changed the NFL and these franchises. Valuation is significantly more than it was even at you know 20 years yep. ago is what we're talking about. But there is nothing similar to the length that David Modell went to try to say, this team is you yours. are us. Yep. Like we are all one here and and he stood out himself with when they arrived at bwi he stood out with the trophy and said please come over i will stand here for hours holding this thing in order to give you the opportunity to come over and touch it and let you know that it's yours you're a part of this i remember talking to david about two things you know the high school here in town, the legendary Poly. Yes, of course. Polytechnic yeah. High School. BPI. He he called it Pauly. Oh, did he? Okay. And and he also always referred to Memorial Stadium as Memorial. He he used to say, and I said, David, I there's that. two things that yeah. you say in this town, and he he really put his hand out and shake my hand and said, I really appreciate your taking the time to to instruct me on that because. The- I came here. Yep. I don't know, but you know, to me, it was memorial because their stadium, the old stadium in Cleveland, was memorial, but they didn't refer to it as much as Memorial Stadium. Mm. Here, we called it Memorial Stadium. There's some little things when yeah. people come to town that pronouncing Towson is one of those things that people struggle people, with. Towson, Towson. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. a very, it's a significant struggle. Um, but the biggest uh, one is here in town. Here, we call it rubbernecking. Yeah. When you look in the Midwest, they call it uh, bottlenecking, a gaper, a oh. gaper's lurch, what or something I like that. I've never heard yeah, that before. Yeah, yeah. Out in Chicago, they go, "Oh yeah, we're in a gaper's lurch," and I go, "What are you talking about?" He says, "Yeah, when people start looking over and gaping, you know." That's interesting. I yeah. did not know. Um, so I want to finish this thought real quick before we uh, talk some baseball here. The other name that was brought up to me by my buddies, right. and look, a lot of people bring up the same. Derek Mason, Anquan Bolden, don't sure. give me Jimmy Smith. I, those guys are all guys that I think have arguments, yeah. right? I, I'm not opposed to any of that group of guys. Right. I, Chris McAllister to me, I get it. He had some personal demons yeah. and some issues, but as a football player was concerned. Yeah, he was I, a lockdown com- corner. Compared yeah. to some of the early, the careers, some of the early guys who went into the Ring of Honor had, yeah. Chris McAllister absolutely deserving. Yeah. But the one that was interesting to me, and I'm pretty sure the answer is he didn't want to go in, is Ozzy. I'm pretty sure the answer was Ozzy didn't want to be recognized that way. Okay. And I do wonder if now that he has stepped down as general manager, yeah. that maybe they reapproach that and say, hey, now could we consider that? Because we'd rather do it while you're alive than wait until after yeah. you have passed in order to give you that honor. But I think that that would be one that would stand out to me as kind of an obvious yeah. one to do. Uh, today's show brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by a Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals and new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. 
Sam the Fan Charles in studio with us on a Friday edition of GCR. The championship series of the Major League, or the championship round of the Major League Baseball playoffs continues today. And I think that we felt a little kinship this year with what was going on in Arizona, Stan. The young teams kind of came up underneath the radar, very high-level young players. Of course, Gunnar Henderson will be American League Rookie of the Year, Corbin, or Corbin Carroll mm-hmm. out in Arizona. I think we felt a little bit of that. and so it Who was, would have won if Josh Young wouldn't have gotten hurt? It's a very yeah. fair question. Um, I, it was neat to me to see Arizona inch their way back yeah. into that series yesterday and thought it would be a great opportunity to catch up with an old friend, of course, a, a former Orioles pitcher and now the color analyst for the Diamondbacks' Spanish radio broadcasts, he is Rodrigo Lopez, and he is back with us here on GCR. Rodrigo, it's Glenn and Stan back in Baltimore. It's great to catch up with you, man. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes for us. Oh, oh thank you, Glenn and Stan. Uh, well, it's always nice talking to you guys uh, over there in Baltimore. And, well, I thought we're going to talk in Spanish, but hopefully my English work. Uh, I think it's it'll be just, just fine. fine. I think it'll be just fine, Rodrigo. Glenn misled me. I thought I was going to have to interpret what you said because <laughs> I speak such good Spanish. Fluent. He was going to do his Brandon Quinones impression this morning. Um, uh, Rodrigo, this team, how this has come about, right? How did this happen with the Diamondbacks? And it's I feel like it's a similar story. Um, probably a few more veterans involved, but how did it happen that this Diamondbacks team was ready to make this jump this season and make a run so far all the way to the NLCS? Yeah, it's been an amazing season. Uh, uh, it's been a transition. I know it's been a hard time for Mike Hayson and, and all the administration over there in the front office, but I think uh, through the spring training, we, we, we expect to have a good team, but not ready for playoff at least this year. But uh, I, I, I can say once they sign for a long-term uh, Corbin Carroll, I think change have been, uh, things haven't changed here. And we just, just uh, the first two months, the first three months of the season, half the season, on playing really, really nice baseball, very dynamic baseball on the bases. Uh, pitching was pretty surprising. You know, uh, we also know we could count on Galen and uh, Kelly. But the young pitchers also did the job. And, uh, and here we are. Uh, at the end, you know, we finished the season uh with the four straight losses, not scoring any runs, but all of a sudden it changed once we knew that we're going to get uh, a chance to, you know, play the playoff. I think once we get to Milwaukee, uh, the mentality changed. And, well, you know, uh, Tori, Tori LaBelle is, is a great leader. He knows how to handle the clubhouse, and also that uh, counts a lot for what we're seeing right now. It's, it's just happy baseball, dynamic baseball, and guys that are pretty young, they never give up. Rodrigo's Rodrigo, I'm I'm thinking just from strictly an Oriole point of view, what could we trade the Diamondbacks to get Brandon Fott for Jeez. next year? Man, have, suppose we give you like Ramon Urias, yeah, right, James McCann, yeah, you can have them all. Wait, I don't and like McCann. Uh, Ryan McKenna, sure, sure, yeah. all those guys, right? Well, you know, knowing that uh, Longoria is probably in his career, probably we know that uh, we have we need a. Solid third base, probably Gunnar Gold, Henderson. Gold Glove third baseman. Oh, you want Gunnar Henderson. <laughs> <laughs> he wants Gunnar Henderson. Yeah. All right. I guess gonna, that trade. I don't think that's going to work that's out. That's not going to work out. Wait, but, uh, seriously, how did he. I, I have to admit, I fell asleep. I kept looking at his ERA, 
And I said, how are they starting this guy against the Dodgers? And the guy has been, now I look at his numbers and realize he's the, the number one pitching prospect in your organization. He was really special last night. No, definitely, definitely. Uh, and I have to give credit uh, to to Tori and his staff because I was also surprised, just like you, seeing his stats. Uh, he was the pitcher of the year last year in the star season in the minor leagues. But honestly, I didn't see it on the stats uh, he could pitch in the big leagues. And his first couple of games didn't show uh, as much talent that he's showing right now. And I, I I didn't know what to expect with this guy because also you see his uh, games during the season were not like consistent. He got good games here and there, but never see a guy who's consistent, you know, uh, start uh, start to start. Uh, and I guess the the needs uh, of the pitching uh, rotation he putting him on on first to start the first game of the postseason in Milwaukee. He didn't do well. He gave up three runs, I believe, in the first inning. And then uh, for the division series against the Dodgers, they gave him the ball for the third game. We were ahead on that series two to nothing. So, you know, I think it makes sense. But uh, the way he performs, uh, everybody was surprised. Not walking anyone, challenge the batter. They know that they have to stop. And he really, uh, he really showed up that day. That what it was all about, and his mentality, his body language on the mound, definitely. I think he caused, you know, he he created a great impression to everyone. That given the second chance to start this game, the third game of the uh, National League Series, and he was amazing. You know, I didn't know what to expect from him, knowing that we lost. Two games over there in Philadelphia against really, really good lineup. And, you know, one of the things that he has dealing with is, you know, dealing with the with the home runs during the season. I believe he gave up like 22 home runs and 19 stars, something like that. And he threw him a lot of strikes. And these guys don't miss any passballs. So I was really concerned about how he was going to deal with this lineup. But honestly, he, he dealt like a mature and, you know, veteran guy on the mound. And he was just dealing last night, you know, uh, 18 batters. He ended up retiring the last game that he faced. I mean, he was outstanding, and definitely he put us in a different situation right now. Yeah, he was brilliant. There's no question about it. Uh, Rodrigo, I want to go back to something you said, because I think there's a, a tie-in to a couple of things related to Baltimore. One, you bring up when, when the Diamondbacks signed Corbin Carroll. Can you speak to what that did for the guys in the clubhouse, inside this organization, and even the fan base there in Arizona to to dig in further and be further entrenched with belief of what was going on there, that things are going to be a little bit different. We're, we're a little bit jealous here. We've been waiting to see the Orioles step up and get one of these done with, you know, a Rutschman or a Henderson, and they might be running out of time at some point with some of these guys because they look like they're going to get a lot of money. Um, but how important that just that that decision was for everybody related to the Diamondbacks. Yeah, no, uh, he's a great asset to the team. And, you know, it's not just because of the talent that he has uh, on the field. Also, his leadership. He's, he's, he's a rookie. He, you know, he played a few games last year. But he pretty much is a rookie. And, well, he might be the rookie of the year in the National League. 
and but he's present on uh, in the clubhouse, knowing who's the Bertrand. You know, Cattell is the, the the Bertrand guy who also is one of the leaders. But he, I believe, uh, being a leader uh, by example, he took the the rest of the team with him on the shoulders and. Just the energy, the way he plays, the way he takes at bat, his headache and 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 everything else, like, is the presence that he brings to the team. I think that's contagious, and the other guys, you know, help the other uh, teammates, just like <clears throat> Alec Thomas, uh, McCarthy, with us now uh, in the roster this this time. But uh, those little uh, things that you're looking in in a leader, that's that's what to make the difference with Corbin Carroll. And even he got, you know, if he gets into a slump where it's not regular and it's not happening much, he always brings, you know, that energy. And mm-hmm. the clubhouse and the dugout during the game, running hard, you know, he's, he, he's, he's fast. He, he is a good base running. All that, you know, uh, definitely it makes the, the, the team different. And I think that's what uh, we were looking for. From year past, we got some good players through the through the other years. You know, the team has been rebuilt, but the character, the personality that Corbin Carroll creates there, I think it makes a difference. Rodrigo, I've got one more question to ask you. It's more a general baseball question. Um, it it was certainly an unintended consequence in baseball during the pandemic that pitchers were going to not pitch as much. Are we finally, when we go into 2024, will we finally have built pitchers back up to the pre, prior to pandemic levels of innings pitched? Do you think that will not be as big an issue? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. And I don't know if that was because of the pandemic or just the way they handled the game. Yep. You know, there were, there were uh, many talks in the hallways up there, uh, you know, talking with veteran guys that uh, I crossed that with, and and yeah, we see we see pitchers that then can handle a hundred pitches anymore, or we're gonna see less pitchers with uh, two hundred innings plus, like less and less. And I think it's just uh, you know the uh, the new way that they manage the game as far as like trying to, uh, you know, administrate their arms, trying to keep them uh, active, not avoiding the, 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 the IL. Uh, but, but, yeah, I don't know if it's going to be a good thing in the future for, for baseball, for the arms, for the pitchers, the way that we just do, you know, candle uh, pitching during the season. You know, like if you use the bullpen too much, Probably at the, at the end of the season, they're not going to be as effective as you think. And also, the starters might not, you know, candle a big games. And I don't know. Uh, I don't know in the future for now on, if we're going to ever see guys with 200 wins. So, meaning, which kind of picture we'll see in the Hall of Fame in the future. Hmm. So Maybe Rodrigo. Maybe Maybe Rodrigo Lopez. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. That, that time. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a uh, that's a big question, a big topic. I think that uh, the baseball need to you know uh, talk about it. But but yeah, uh, that's where we are right now. And and see, and definitely we we see guys throwing harder and harder every time. But yeah, we don't we're not gonna see more performance like complete games or perfect games on even quality starts. 
they're guys that they have not many quality stars and they're pretty they get paid in the big leagues. So yep. I don't know. It's like it's it's big it's big uh big thing to talk about. Rodrigo, my last one for you before we let you go. Just you can understand why it's a topic here in Baltimore, but the um, the debate about the layoff for teams that uh, win the division. Yeah. Did did you get a sense? And and not to say that it's the reason why the Diamondbacks beat the Dodgers, or it's the but. Did you get a sense for whether it didn't matter and how important it was for the guys in Arizona to keep playing and not sit around for a week? And you know, what do you think of how baseball may, might handle that moving forward? Yeah, I know it's uh, it's I, I I mean the way the uh, uh, the way we are right now definitely you bring more fans in general in baseball and you know reward those guys that at the end never give up. And well, the perfect example is the Diamondbacks that would just win 84 games, and here we are in the National League Division uh, uh, Series. Uh, and but yeah, at the same time, think about those guys that won 100 games. Say, okay, what's going to be the reward? I don't know. Is that the, is that the case that on the future is uh, if they're going to get reward in a different way because also the inactivity seems like work yeah. against them. They happen to the Dodgers, or it happened to you guys too, the, the Orioles. And, you know, I, I, I understand uh, they're trying to uh, give it the chance to uh, to the guys like in the middle of, of the division or stuff like that. But is that is that fair? You know, it's hard to answer. Uh, that they give you a, a, a better chance to other teams and bring more fans. Yeah, that's a reality. This is what happened right now. Like, in the National League, there are two guys that are wearing the white car race, you know, trying to get the, the pennant for the National League. And in and American League, if the Rangers win the series, it's going to be, we're going to see two white car competitors in the World Series. Uh, again, is that fair? I don't know. But, you know, definitely uh, MLB to see this because, uh, you know, if I was part of the Dodgers or part of the Orioles, yeah, I, I, I would I would complain like I don't think it's fair. We 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 do everything possible for six months, and you reward the guys that probably didn't do that well. So it's uh, uh, I mean I I definitely like it uh, the way uh, MLB is involved because even there is uh, six teams per each league, but at the end it's like. 20 teams that get involved and get into the competition until the end of the, uh, of the, uh, the last week of baseball. So, but but definitely, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's hard to say right now. But uh, but I believe MLB will will, will uh, take a look at this uh, competition mode. And to be fair, the Orioles lost, right? Like we're not trying to make excuses about it. The Orioles lost. They had their chance. That's what it is. But. You know, it just doesn't it doesn't seem like they have it all quite figured out just yet. Rodrigo, um, really great to catch up with you, man. Thank you for spending a couple of minutes with us this morning. Uh, best of luck to the Diamondbacks as the series continues tonight and enjoy this run. Uh, it seems like it's been an awful lot of fun. Thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you all, guys. Uh, nice talking to you all with good memories, uh, you know, uh, from Baltimore. So thank you so much, too. Thank to you, Rodrigo. Me. Rodrigo Lopez, former Orioles pitcher, now the uh, Diamondbacks color analyst for their Spanish radio broadcast. Just uh, thought it'd be a neat opportunity to catch up with him. Let's just keep plowing ahead, Griffin. Let's just keep moving right forward. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I'm still, like I said earlier, Stan, I'm still not convinced that they can find their way fully back into the series. But 
they did what they needed to do, and they get the opportunity to try to turn it around and do it again today. And well, a lot rests on the left arm of uh, Christopher Sanchez, somebody yep. that they picked up. Did did they pick him up in a trade with the Texas Rangers? No, let me try to remember the Phillies. Yeah, I'm trying to remember how they got Christopher Sanchez. Yeah, um, but whatever it is, I liked him. I saw him several times, and it was a little confusing. Rangers Suarez. Christopher Sanchez. It was the Rays. The Rays. That's the right. Rays. Another the Rays, man. Yeah, right. All they do Who is did produce they get pitchers. For him? Who did uh, the Rays get for him? Curtis Mead. Oh, Curtis Mead is a top prospect now. Okay. Wow. That okay. trade was made a couple of years ago. It was in 2019. Yeah. November 2019, uh, Mead Christopher is Sanchez from a, for Curtis Mead. He's born somewhere really odd. Curtis Mead. Uh, Curtis Mead. I am I am learning these things as we talk about them. Yeah. Curtis Mead's from Australia. Yeah. He's, He's from, from Australia. Down Under. How about Down that? Down Under. How about that? Uh, thank you to Rodrigo Lopez for spending some time with us this morning. The Tyus Bowser Show will be back. We're not going to do a show. Normally it's every other week, but every other week would line up for Halloween. And we're assuming that you guys probably have some plans for Halloween, want to take your kids out, do all that stuff. Come on, so. tell the truth. Tyus Bowser wanted to go out. Trick-or-treating, trick 100%. Yeah. You know, Tyus was quite the hit at the Ravens Super Bowl party. I think it was last year because he wore uh, a costume that basically just was him shirtless. It was a character from the film White Chicks from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. and uh, the I do that all the time. Yeah, you, you wear the same exact costume. Around my house. Right. And uh, it was very popular with the young ladies in town, Right, the costume that Tyus wore. But, yeah, we're going to skip uh, Halloween night, and we will do the show on November 7th. Instead, so that will be our next baseball season is over by then. By then, no, I'm coming. So you're coming, coming out, coming. Guilford Hall Brewery on November seventh. It's yeah. going to be a great night to be out. The Tyus Bowser Show brought to you by AJ Michaels, Superbook Sports, and HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. Find out more PressBoxOnline.com/slash/Bowser. All right. Turned Sandy, out wanna... what what did me in this week was seriously was our, our paper came. I had a long day. Papers were delivered like about eight forty five. I was, and John was talking, come on, they got the baseball game. And I said, okay, I'm going to try and make it. I got home, man. I'm 71 years old And now. by the way, uh, we had a, a, man, a massive crowd. We had, it really? was overwhelming at Mother's North Grill this week. And, um, you know. I, it's, you know what really works about this concept that you and John came up with for the, is the moving it around. Yep. It's, yep. it's Going it's to different not, places. Because yeah. yep. it's fresh. Uh-huh. At each place. That's the yeah. idea. But we do have a couple of home bases, and Guilford Hall Brewery has certainly been one of yeah. our home bases, and we love them, and the food's great, and the beer's great, and Tyus happens to love that place, so it works out really well to yeah. uh, do the show back at uh, Guilford Hall. Yeah. Stan, do you want to introduce us to our next guest? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Is he on the line? He is, very much so. All right. Um, you know, Bernie Walter ran the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame for, I guess, Steve will correct me if I'm wrong, four or five years. And Bernie was getting up there, and he knew, he knew he needed somebody to turn it over to. And he turned it over to the man who's now been the executive director of the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame, I'm going to guess about eight or nine years. And it's Steve Darty. He joins us now. We've got our banquet coming up November 9th at Martin's West. Steve, uh, Welcome on. Uh, you know me, but Glenn Clark is the host of the show, and I'll turn it over to him. Steve, thanks for taking the time for us this morning. Thanks, Glenn. Nice to see you, and nice to talk to you. And, Stan, thank you for all your help and support over um, the years. 
Steve, for people that don't know, like they 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 say the Maryland Athletic Hall, like how's that how's that different than other halls of fame? How's it different than the Orioles Hall of Fame? And the, can you explain what the purpose, the mission of the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame is? Sure, uh, the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame was founded in 1956. We're a, a state chartered uh, athletic hall of fame, and our mission is to honor and recognize those Maryland, native Maryland athletes that have, re- have had outstanding athletic careers. And that, I mean, we've had some Hall of Fame baseball, Hall of Fame football, gold medal winners in the Olympics. And, and interesting, I think it was the 2016 Olympics um, with Michael Phelps, yeah. David Decky, a couple other. We, the state of Maryland won the third most gold medal of any country. Any country. Yeah, <laughs> in the world, you know. So we have a tremendous uh, history of outstanding Maryland athletes. That we, our purpose is to honor those athletes. Steve, I just want to clarify. Steve, I just wanted to clarify one thing. You said Maryland-born. It was originally Maryland-born. When did that change to allow for somebody like Brooks Robinson to sure. go into our Hall of Fame or a Chuck Thompson, Gary Williams? Yes. Yeah. Well, that correct. Um, probably back in 2012, 2013, yeah. we, we, we had we recognized that we uh, our original charter was Native American Native Native, Native yeah. Marylanders only. Then we were seeing people like Johnny Unitas, Brooks Robinson, Wes Unseld that have been part of our community for years and decades, and they are synonymous with Maryland athletics. All right, Johnny Unitas from Pennsylvania, Brooks Robinson from Arkansas, Wes Unsell from Kentucky. These folks have been in our community and enhancing and bettering our community for, like I said, decades. So we changed our charter, probably I think in 2012, to recognize what we call adopted Marylanders. And those athletes that have had outstanding careers and that we also want to recognize those type of people when we have the opportunity. Not everybody is fortunate to be born in the state of Maryland, but in the end, they're part of our community and they've contributed to our, to the success and, and, the, and the fabric of our community for decades. We have a minimum of like 20 or 25 years. So it's really decades for that to, to achieve that requirement. Leon Day is someone that we honored last year mm-hmm. that was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but spent decades as part of the Baltimore community in the state of Maryland. MDSAHOF.com is the website for the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame, and you can find out more about the banquet coming up on November 9th. This year's class, Adrian Dantley, Dominic Dominic Dawes, speaking of Olympians, also Jermaine Lewis, who succeeded at every level in this state, uh, as well as Northern Dancer, of course, the horse, Harold Solomon, a great tennis player from uh, the D.C. suburbs of the state of Maryland. And then the two awards, and I wanted to have you touch on both these awards, Steve. And I'll start yep. with the John Stedman Lifetime Achievement Award. Speaking of someone who's sort of an adopted Marylander, I think everybody knows Scott Garceau is from the Midwest. He's from Wisconsin. But, and I always yep. tell people, it, we are happy to welcome outsiders here in Maryland. There's, there will be people that will come to town and be like, oh, you just don't like me because I'm not from here. That's not the case whatsoever. <laughs> We love you if you tell us that you love us. If you come in and you ingratiate yourself 
and you say, this is my home. And you give is- up your allegiance to the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, I mean, that'd be nice, yeah. but Scott never did that. He certainly <laughs> kept his allegiance to the Packers over the years. And that's Scott, to me, is the shining example yeah. of exactly what someone who comes to town from out of town should be. Mm-hmm. Why is it that you wanted to honor him with the Stedman Award this year? Well, first of all, the John Stedman Award is, 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 is there to honor media broadcasting contributors to the, um, to the sports scene in the state of Maryland. All right. So it, uh, many of us remember John Stedman as a long time. Uh, sports writer in, in, in Baltimore, really a legend in the sports writing community. And so this award has been named after him. And we want to recognize those type of people. Now, for Scott, he's had a 40-year career in WMAR TV, Voice of the Ravens for the first 10 years of their existence, a 17-year career with the Baltimore Orioles. For those of us that watch through the sports, to the games, the Ravens, the Orioles, they're part of our lives. And a decade, over a decade, on, over a decade, Steve, on 105.7, the fan talking to fans. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And for those of us that are a little bit older, we grew up with Chuck Thompson, all right, for the Orioles games and the Colts games, all right? Chuck was the voice of Baltimore. Scott is really a legend and a voice of Baltimore and our community especially our sports community, as Stan just mentioned on 105.7, WMAR, the, the Ravens, the Orioles. I mean, still at 71 years old doing the Oriole games out there all the time. So, And we like to, we want to recognize those contributors to, the, to that community. We also have done in the past the Stedman Award a, number, a couple of years ago to John Scherholz, all right, uh, mm-hmm. the executive for the Land Braves, former Towson University. And, and you know, we did that. In the same year that he was inducted into the Baseball yep. Hall of Fame. Yeah. And I will tell you, I was a little nervous when I made the call down to John to ask him if he would come because, you know, it doesn't get much better than the Hall of Fame. He was so excited to get the Stedman Award and to come home to Maryland. It was, I could, uh, what a genuinely class individual. And to be so excited to receive the Stedman Award was terrific from our standpoint and gave a wonderful speech and talked about his roots in Maryland, his roots as a teacher, as a student, Towson, as, as an administrator, Towson. And then of course, with, you know, a hall of fame career with the Atlanta Braves. Banquet, so that's an example of what we're talking about with the Stedman award. Banquets coming up November 9th. It starts yep. at six o'clock at Martin's West. All of these inductees will be there. Uh, tell Correct. us a little bit, I also wanted to let Glenn know, you know, Glenn, they were between naming the Stedman Award. They were between John Stedman Award and, and, Stan, and Stan the Fan, uh, the I, Stan the I, Fan I, Award. But I was on the committee. Oh, you had to so recuse they, they had to, yourself. They had to yeah. recuse myself. That's tough. And I would have been the only vote for Stan the Fan. <laughs> but, but, but all kidding aside, we've, we've come up with a, us, yeah. yeah, we've come up with a new award uh, to cover to cover the fact that there are a lot of non-playing personnel that deserve to go in this Hall of Fame. We came up a couple of years ago with the Coach's Legacy Award. Gary Williams now is the only one to go in both. Uh, I think as a, uh, I think he went in as a – wasn't he in the Hall of Fame already? 
not he is not a member of the Hall of Fame. We honored him as coach's uh, again, legacy. Yeah. Coaches, he was our inaugural yep. coach's legacy award winner. You know, we went, really wanted to. You know, we have so many outstanding coaches. I mean, you know, we're doing Chris Weller this year, uh, Brenda Freeze at the University of Maryland, Gary Williams, University national champions, uh, Super Bowl champion, Ravens, World Series champion. So we kind of created the Coaches of Legacy Award to separate the Stebman Award, kind of focus on there. We have some outstanding candidates that we that we are considering each and every year. You know, folks that are involved with the Maryland Stadium Authority that that helped build Camden Yards, the class of Major League Baseball, M&T Bank Stadium, and hundreds and hundreds of buildings and, and venues around the state of Maryland. And just these people make contributions to sports and athletics in the state of Maryland that often go unrecognized. Yep. And so that's our mission, to recognize these people. And you touched upon our second uh, honoree as the coach's legacy work, Chris Weller. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Many people, younger folks, you know, we see the University of Maryland success that Coach Freeze has had at Maryland with the women's program. Um, I got to tell you, along with Pat Summit back in the early 70s, the Maryland women's basketball program started as an intramural sport, and she created what we see today. She was a pioneer in this, in women's basketball. She was is truly a really um, – uh, just an unbelievable legend in women's basketball. Whenever I talk to you know, coaches and players that know the history, Chris Well, you mentioned Chris Weller's name. It's right off the bat. They, they understand exactly who she is and Alex, what she did along S- with people like Pat Summit. Steve, how excited is she to go in? She is very excited. Um, she is, um, you know, it's, it's hard. I think Marilyn recognized her a few years back. I mean, she's got a whole litany of former players that absolutely love her, all right? And this is an opportunity for us and them. You know, we all get advanced in age. So, you know, and that same, you know, Gary Williams last year was a fantastic honor. Gary, um, Coach Williams, it's a fantastic honor. Coach Weller, these are people that, truth be told, as we saw with Brooks Robinson this year, we, we inducted Brooks a number of years ago into the Hall of Fame. They're not going to be around forever. So when we have an opportunity to honor them when they're still here, mm. it really is something that we want it, we aim for, and, and, and it's something that we try to do whenever we can. Again, right? again, the banquet is November 9th. It's a Thursday mm-hmm. night. Tickets up until, what, the 26th of October. Tickets are $100. Then they go back to their normal price of $125. So, exactly. So yep. purchase and your tickets per- now. I had one last, Steve, I had one last question for you. Just so Glenn and the audience don't think it's just Steve Doherty sitting in a room and going, gee, this guy deserves it. Tell tell, uh, our audience a little bit about who's on the selection committee along with me. Go ahead. Well, I am, I am the, uh, I am the uh, chairman of our board of directors very quickly. And we have some unbelievable people on our board of directors. All right, starting with uh, many people know Gene Fugit, a uh, longtime NFL football player and an attorney in, in the Baltimore area. Obviously, Stan Charles. We have Kevin Glover, a former honoree at the university, uh, still involved with the football development program at the University of Maryland. Played, I think, 10 or 12 years for the Detroit Lions, blocking for Barry Sanders. Uh, we have Sandy McKee, an Eclipse Award-winning journalist 
uh, with, um, you know, uh, writing on horse racing industry. We have Mike O'Connor, a uh, four or five year major league baseball pitcher uh, from the, the Montgomery County area, a graduate of my, of my university, George Washington University, played for the Nationals and Mets. We have Bill Stetka, a longtime uh, Orioles uh, alumni director and, and, and longtime executive of the Orioles. We also have Mike Gibbons, who is the uh, executive director of the Babe Ruth uh, Birthplace and Museum downtown Baltimore. Uh, they have an outstanding Brooks Robinson exhibit right now that last year they had, at the time, the most expensive baseball card ever purchased or sold at approximately $8.5 million on Babe Ruth rookie music, uh, card. And um, that was uh, a big thing. We have uh, Daryl Hill, who many people know Daryl as it's the Hill House um, in, in University of Maryland, first uh, African-American football player in the ACC and now uh, a member now a member of the Maryland State Athletic Hall he of Fame is Mer- he is a member last year Daryl was inducted into the Hall of Fame and w- gave an unbelievable speech sharing with us what he faced and not only that the point that was poignant in his speech was the fact that during all those trials and tribulations going to the south playing football at Clemson and places like that that really made it difficult for he and his family to even attend games, let alone play, was the support that he reflected from the University of Maryland and every individual from the University of Maryland. And his mentor at Maryland, the coach that recruited him, was Lee Corso, who is now on ESPN Game Day, was was an assistant coach at the University of Maryland back in the early 60s and recruited Daryl from, from the Nickelback where he was playing wide receiver for another Hall of Famer named Roger Staubach. So the, the, whole, the whole entwined um, you know, sports in the state of Maryland has got a long history, deep roots, and a tremendous amount of success in our, in our, in our state. And it's really, that's our mission, to honor these folks. That, and I'll just tell you a quick thing. We're doing Harold Salmon this year. Last year, we did Fred McNair, another tennis player, and, and previ- right pr- a year or two prior to that was Steve Krulovitz, yep. another tennis player. And it's amazing the turnout of tennis players to support these Oh, guys. my goodness. Well, listen, the three of those were the three amigos when they were growing up in the junior circuit around the country. All three of them obviously became professional tennis players. Fred shared with the story all those years he played against Steve Krulovitz the first time they ever played as professionals was on the court at Wimbledon. All right. I won't tell you who won. You can look it up. But Fred <laughs> talked about all those years playing in these tournaments around the state of Maryland, the Mid-Atlantic area. The first time as professionals they faced each other was at Wimbledon. I mean, that's just – we have such a tremendous history and, and, and fabric of, of, of our sports community. And this is our mission is to, to honor that. Again, the website is mdsahof.com, and you can buy right. your tickets on that website. Yep. Love to see a lot of it. We have a tremendous class this year, as, as Glenn mentioned. I mean, Dominique Dawes, for example, boy, she is becoming a leader in the, um, in the gymnastics, in the, in the world gymnastics community. Adrian Dantley, what can you say, a, a basketball Hall of Famer? Harold Salmon. I mean, it, Jermaine Lewis. I was at a 
exhibition basketball game at the old Mariner Arena a few years back um, in downtown Baltimore, and Jermaine Lewis was there, and they introduced him. It was like a four or five minute standing ovation for him. Yeah. He is beloved in, in Baltimore as a Raven, as a Super Bowl champion, and we're we're thrilled to be able to honor him. Um, it's, so. It is, and it's a remarkable group. Steve Doherty, uh, really appreciate you taking some time for us this morning. We'll continue to get the word out in the next couple of weeks you, ahead Steve. of the uh, banquet. So yep. pr- appreciate you doing this. Glenn, thank you. Stan, always thank you for your support. We love to see you guys. And um, thanks a lot. Talk to you, We look forward to seeing everybody on November 9th. And we will uh, try to reach out to some of those folks in the uh, coming weeks and uh, and have them on ahead of the banquet. Steve will probably be able to help I, you get a we couple. Will, we will make sure we do that. And, um, yeah, it's, it's neat. Jermaine Lewis, one of the I, – I don't know how many people are in the Hall of Fame that, that had succeeded at the high school, college, and, and pro, pro levels level. here yep. in the state of Maryland. Yep. Pretty remarkable It's amazing there. how they were this close to naming that award. Yeah, after Stan. Stan, I just, I can't Stan the fan. The they Stan went the with, fan, you like, know. Like, Stedman was okay. Yeah. I mean, right? Stedman, like he was but awesome. Stan the fan. That would have yeah. been the one. That would have been the one. Uh, we're going to go long today, guys. It's just the way that it goes. When we come back in, we're going to catch up with uh, the great Kurt Warner. And still to come, segment number three of the Tyus Bowser Show with Jadeveon Clowney. Stan the fan is here. It's Glenn Clark Radio. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Todd Karpovich profiles the Orioles' survivors. Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and Ryan Mancastle, who all came from the previous regime but stuck through tough times to be key pieces in guiding the franchise back to prominence. Also inside, we remember the iconic Brooks Robinson with tributes from Jim Henneman and myself, Stan the Fan Charles, and a trip down memory lane to remember the most significant moments of his career. Plus, we meet players from college basketball programs around the state. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Baltimore County Police Department is now hiring with competitive salaries, including for experienced police officers, starting salaries between over $68,000 and over $82,000 based on your prior service time, accepting up to seven years of service times with only six weeks in the academy, minimum of two years prior experience. And police cadet starting salaries at over $32,000 must be between the ages of 18 and 20, but you can apply starting at 17 and a half. Must have a high school diploma or GD equivalent at the time of the hire, U.S. citizen at the time of the hire, and a valid driver's license. So if you have a passion for service and want a career for life, now is the time to join the Baltimore County Police Department. Call 410-887-5542 or visit joinbaltimorecountypd.com. Gambling can be a fun and entertaining experience, but there are risks involved. If you're planning on betting on the game at the casino or on your phone or computer, know your limit, stay within it. Set a budget and a time to stop. Remember, gambling isn't a financial solution and it doesn't mix well with alcohol or drugs. Know the risks and have a plan before you begin gambling. For free and confidential services, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to helpmygamblingproblem.org. Visit Harford County this fall. Celebrate Arts Across Harford September 15th through the 30th with dance, theater, music, and visual arts. September 29th through October 1st is the largest Italian festival in Maryland, featuring entertainment, cooking demonstrations, a bocce tournament, and family fun. If you're headed to the Maryland Five Star, stay and play in Harford County. While you're there, enjoy the scenic views atop the king and queen seats and experience pumpkin patches, corn mazes, and fall brews along their Harford Life. Trail. For more info, head to visit Harford.com. Maryland Open. 
picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food. Check. Quality of service. Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. Six chicken tenders made from fresh, never-frozen Royal Farms world-famous chicken, a family-sized order of Western fries, honey mustard dipping sauce, and a two-liter bottle of Dr. Pepper. It's Royal Farms' new Tucker's Tenders Meal. It's Justin Tucker's favorite, and at only $19.99, it'll be your favorite meal, too. The new Tucker's Tenders Meal, available only at Royal Farms. Now you can kick back, relax, and eat like a champion. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Come for a game, stay for everything else. Book an unforgettable fall getaway in Charm City. Enjoy only in Baltimore festivals, mouthwatering eats, and endless entertainment. Treat yourself to a staycation in the heart of downtown or try one of the city's many charming neighborhood hotels. And don't miss out on packages for free parking, breakfast, and more. Plan your stay at baltimore.org slash hotels. Don't forget about Project Game Day after every Ravens game this season. It's kind of like this show, except Rita's also there, so I actually think it's it's pretty good. But hey, you're already here now, so why don't you go ahead and keep listening to GCR? All right, back in here as we continue along on a Friday edition of the program. Stan the Fan Charles is here. Griffin, do you want to tell everybody what's going on at Live Casino and Hotel? Yeah, maybe uh, for the first time ever, uh, you didn't hit on an underbet in the NFL. <laughs> that this went season. from being the Thursday night footballiest of all of the Thursday night football <laughs> games to suddenly being a thriller yeah. in the second half. Uh, well, if luck wasn't on your side and you took the over or took the under yesterday, like me, you could go over to the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino in Hotel Maryland, where you, you can uh, turn losses into winning opportunities with the Second Chance to Win promotion. Between now and January 4th, 2024, all Live Casino in Hotel Maryland rewards members will be able to enter their losing bet slips into the Second Chance to Win drum in two nights a week. 20 different winners will be chosen prizes. Ranging from Live Casino and Hotel Maryland Apparel, Sports and Social Ultimate Happy Hour Prizes, cash and free free play worth up to $500. Drawings will be held every Thursday and Monday over at the FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel Maryland. Adirondack Mills must be 21. Please play responsibly for help. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. And somebody say, well, you got to feel sick for Derek Carr because what's his face? Uh, Moreau? Who, was it Moreau oh who gosh. dropped the touchdown? I mean, wide open that would have tied the game up uh, in the final minute. And, like, maybe... But he also, I his shtick, like him screaming at a receiver, Alave, when he threw the ball eight yards out of bounds because Alave gave up on the route. Like, wh- what? <laughs> what was he going to do about that exactly? The ball was in the stands. How exactly was he going to catch that ball? I don't know that I have a lot of sympathy for Derek Carr. Derek Carr, definitely a let me scream at someone on every play, no matter whose fault it actually was last night during the course of that game. And then he was Who won that game? I'm sorry. The Jaguars won Jaguars. What did they win by? Seven. 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 So they they, – uh, they it, actually, the Saints were one-point favorites. Yeah, they were. So it uh, worked out for a few of us that were on the Jaguars last night. Uh, our next guest was on the call last Sunday in London when the Ravens took on the Titans. Uh, because of his schedule, I already told you we had to do this yesterday afternoon, but an opportunity to catch up with the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner, here on GCR. He didn't want to talk to me. No, he wanted to, but it just the schedule wasn't oh. working out this time. Well, it is always a pleasure to be joined here on GCR by the Hall of Famer and the man who was on the call as the Ravens beat the Titans in London last Sunday on NFL Network. 
He's the great Kurt Warner, and he's back with us here on GCR. Kurt, it's Glenn in Baltimore. It's great to catch up, man. Thank you for taking the time for us. You got it. Good, uh, good to talk to you. It was fun to uh, to watch the team and connect with them last last week, and um, excited to see where they can go from here. You know, I, I there's so much that I feel like is being. I don't know if missed is the right word. I feel like there is an attitude in Baltimore of, yeah, they're good. They're four and two. They lead the division, but they should be better than this. And I don't know that it's unfair because we know the games that they've lost, they could have won. But in all, I, I feel like the Ravens are in a good position. Is there a chance that they are still ascending, that they are still putting things together offensively and that their best football is still in front of them. I think when you talk to everybody in that organization, to a man from an offensive standpoint, an offensive perspective, they all believe that, that they haven't nearly scratched the surface. You know, Mark Andrews used the, uh, the term that he thinks they're a sleeping giant, that they've got so much potential that they haven't tapped into yet. And they haven't, you know, been able to kind of connect consistently offensively for whatever reason that is mistakes across the board, getting comfortable within the system, Lamar continuing to grow uh, and see things and understand, you know, how to process and, and how to get his eyes to certain places quickly. Um, you know, as you said, this is a team that should be undefeated um, having leads in the fourth quarter that they squandered, you know, in those two losses that they feel like they could be undefeated and they, and they're not as good as they can be at this point in time. And so, um, yeah, I think they feel good with where they're sitting right now, knowing that their best football is in front of them, while at the same time there's a there's a frustration there going, you know, we should be undefeated. You know, we, we can be better than this, and we're not playing up to our potential. Um, but, you know, I've always said the beautiful thing is when you're not playing your A game and you find ways to win anyways, you know, because you have to do that sometimes in this league is that as you're going through growing pains or as certain guys are going through struggles or you're going through injuries, the biggest thing is you find ways to win um, in hopes that you can put it all together at the right time down the stretch and into the playoffs. And, and right now they're doing that. You know, they, they've got a good team across the board and they're finding ways to win. They're making enough plays to win football games while they still believe that their potential is out there in front of them. And, uh, and they're excited to see what they can become. Is there any one aspect of the offense? What jumps out to me is that Lamar is the only one who's running the ball with consistency at the moment. Is it that simple? Hey, if they can get the run game going, which is ironic given what their offense was, that that would open everything else up? Or is there something else that jumps on that jumps out to you that you say, hey, this is the one thing that's maybe holding them back just slightly offensively? I mean, you know, when you look at it statistically, I mean, they were a top five run team, you know, coming into last weekend. And so, um, you know, but, but, but I do think you make the point it's consistency. It's, you know, they're doing a lot of things well, except they're, they're shooting themselves in the foot with, you know, with right. the drop passes a couple weeks ago in the red zone, or, you know, they, they run the football and then they, they don't make the play in the moment or they have a penalty or they're stopping themselves when they get into the red zone. Um, you know, with a mistake here or there. And, and and so I don't know if you can just put it on, you know, hey, they got to run the football more consistently. I just think they have to be more consistent across the board and and feel like, you know, no matter what they do, they're going to be successful at it. And I just got the sense from talking to everybody and I, everybody to a man, it was just like, we have to be more consistent. We have to quit hurting ourselves that we've got everything there and we're all just taking our turn at messing it up. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think it's as simple as, oh, we just run the ball better or right. throw the ball. I, I think it's 
everybody's got to get together and they have to start clicking. So, you know, so they feel like no matter what they do, they're going to have success doing it. And right now, you know, I feel like they say, Hey, we're doing a lot of good things, but we're doing a lot of things that are, that is really hurting us as a football team. And we've got to figure out a way to eliminate it. And I'll always say one of the hardest things is like, it's easy if you can point to one person or you can point to one group and go, okay, this area is not good enough. We can focus in on that. What's really hard is like when everybody takes their turn, you know, going into that, that game against Pittsburgh, uh, uh, you know, the receivers hadn't dropped the pass all year. And then they dropped four in that game and a couple of them are touchdown and you're mm -hmm. going, oh my gosh, we can't drop passes. But the bottom line is they haven't dropped passes until that one game, but that one game, it cost them. And so I think that's what they feel like is like everybody, you know, is uncharacteristic or, or they step out and they make a mistake at a critical moment. And it's not just one thing you can point your finger at and go, okay, we got to, we got to get better in this area. It's across the board. We, you know, we got to lock in, we got to focus and we can't hurt ourselves in whatever area that is when we're in a critical moment in a game. The great Kurt Warner is with us here on GCR. Kurt, it's such a great point because Lamar's played so well this season, and yet even he, right, the the turnovers, the the fumbles, a, a really bad interception against Pittsburgh. So even even the guy that's doing a, a, a whale of a job has been the guy at times. I, I, if I could, I wanted to follow up on Lamar because what, what stands out is his efficiency, right? He's completing passes at a 70% clip. This is wild. For someone that was once alleged to not be very good at throwing the football, which you and I both know was insane and, you know, the absurdity that he's had to deal with. Is it encouraging enough to say if he's doing this right now, that the explosiveness can still be added back in? That if he is making the passes that he's making, that the explosive plays, the downfield throws, that Todd Munkin can add those into the offense as the season goes on? Yeah, I mean, you know. And again, you have to look at the big picture. And I, I agree with you. I think Lamar's playing really good. But I still think there are a lot of times where it's it's kind of off schedule and it's choppy. Hmm. Even though they're making completions at times and, and they're getting there, um, I, I think the biggest thing is, is you want it to be more smooth. You want Lamar to just fully understand on every concept, okay, where do my eyes need to be? Who am I reading first? Where should the ball go? And, and what is that timing element within every play and, and I'm not putting that all on Lamar I think you know he's in a new system and they're asking him to do things that he hasn't done in a while maybe since college so you know there's going to take some time there I also think it's the guys outside of him you know it, it came up a couple times in our meetings with them that you know it, it was just kind of in passing where you know the receivers need to run everything at the right depth and, and so you know that automatically goes off in my head being a guy that was all about timing and all about anticipation and, and being able to know exactly where guys were is so important to play on schedule. And so I, when I hear things like that, I go, oh, oh, so, so, so there's a learning curve on the outside too where maybe a guy's a little too deep or maybe a guy's a little short. And I think back to the interception against the Titans um, where he was you know, throwing it over there to the right-hand side. I, I forget right now who the receiver was. Uh, uh, the uh, Rashad you know, Bateman, yep. Yeah, no, it was Bateman on that play. Yep. But you could kind of see it where Bateman turned around and the ball was – it wasn't a horrible throw. It was, you know, maybe a little bit high, but it was kind of right over the top of his head. But Bateman wasn't ready for it, and the ball goes over, and then, you know, Bunting makes the interception on the sideline, and you're just kind of like things like that mm -hmm. where I kind of saw Lamar kind of throw his hands up a little bit like, what happened there? I thought I was on time, and, and then you came out and whatever. 
But all of those things become so important as Lamar is getting comfortable again of, of playing in timing is you've got to be able to trust your guys. If you don't trust your guys, now all of a sudden, for me, it looks choppy. I'm sitting there waiting to go, okay, when is he going to come out? How much depth is he going to have? When can I let this ball go? And when you're playing like that, it's tough to be fully efficient as an offense. So I think all of that kind of stuff is going on as they're getting comfortable with it. Um, and, and I think that's going to be something I pay attention to is that I don't always just look at stats. I know a lot of people look at stats and go, he's completing 70% of his passes. And again, not that he's not playing well, but I just look at that and I go, okay, but, but a lot of those are off schedule and it's him kind of <laughs> buying time and then, and then hitting a guy late. I want to see him come out, see it, hit it, and, and be on time and, and have that rhythm because to me, that's when an offense gets going is when you believe, hey, I know what I'm seeing. I know where to go with the football. Boom, the ball's out when I hit my back foot. Guys are in the right spot. We're clicking. We can't be stopped. And so that's what I'm looking at more than simply just the numbers across the board. You want to see that level of efficiency, which shows up as just it looks smooth. It looks easy. It looks like everybody knows where they're going, and Lamar is just out there picking people apart. Um, and, and I just I haven't seen it to that level quite yet with with this new offense that's really interesting kurt i i, I want to add if i could about the the defense is playing at a really high level at the moment and i think even better than a lot of people expected coming in especially given the injuries they were dealing with things along those lines um i i know that everybody wants to be the miami dolphins everybody wants to be the greatest show on turf right they want to be kurt warner and the rams but is a team that's playing complementary team football like we saw scores were completely down across the league last week is there a, a possibility that if you just play to your strengths that that might be the best path for trying to win a Super Bowl right now and not necessarily being the team that's scoring 40 points a game? Well, I mean, I think all of this is, is relative because okay. I think it all really comes down to what you think you're capable of. You know, if you only think you're capable of complementary football and, you know, that's how you're going to win, then so be it. Um, and, and you play that way and you find ways to win. But, you know, Lamar mentioned it to it in one of our meetings that he's like, I feel like we should score 40 points every time out. Yeah. And we haven't done it yet. We're not close to that yet. So I don't feel, I feel like they're saying to themselves, yeah, our defense is playing great. Now, when we put 40 points on the board, we're going to beat people by 20 points right. and we're not going to have to make every play down the stretch or we're not going to be one play away from losing a close game because we're too good. You know, we're, we're too good across the board to be in this many close games and have to find ways to win. Um, and, you know, especially when you look at the history over the last couple of years, I mean, I think it's 10 games that they've lost with the lead, you know, late in the game, maybe even in the fourth quarter that they've lost. And so, you know, you're saying, well, if we're playing at a high clip on offense and our defense is playing like this, we're not one play. You know, like we're right. doing two possessions ahead in the fourth quarter where we're not going to lose these games, no matter how well we play. So, um, so I just, you know, again, one of the things that came out of, of, of my time and something I think was kind of a question for me, um, you know, going over there was simply they had so much success. They won 70% of their games when Lamar Jackson started under Greg Roman, 70%. Like that's an unbelievable clip. Anybody yeah. in the league would take 70% win percentage in that offense. Yet they made a change. Why did they make a change? Now, John Harbaugh was, you know, quick to say, hey, 
this isn't simply because I only think we can win throwing the football. You know, he, he was animate that, hey, you can win games a lot of different ways in the league. And they've shown that without a doubt. But so why was it? Well, it was because they felt like the potential of Lamar Jackson was greater than what they had within that great Roman offense. And they wanted to tap into everything that is Lamar Jackson because they believe when they get that Lamar Jackson, you know, we've seen a special, we've seen an MVP Lamar Jackson, but if they believe there's more and they can tap into that, that's what makes this team a championship team. And so that's what they're shooting for. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time as they, as they, you know, kind of shift this thing. Great thing. As I said earlier, they're having success while they're learning how to play this new offense while they're trying to tap into Lamar's potential. But that's why they made the change is that because they know in this league, again, I won't say they know, I believe in this league, you have to be able to throw the football. You have to be able to play the game from inside the pocket if you're going to win a championship because that's just how it's done come playoff time. Teams take away the things that you do best and they force you to play the game inside the pocket and be efficient there. And if you can't, those teams rarely get to championship games and win championship games. And so I believe there's a part of everybody there that knows that, that we have to be better in this area. So we have to focus on it, right? I talked to Greg Roman a, a year ago and I covered one of their games. And, you know, just looking at it from an offensive perspective, I just remember thinking to myself, everybody wants you to be this great run team, you know, built around these two and three tight ends and a great dynamic pass team, but they don't connect. You know, when you have an offense that's, you know, packing it in and running between the tackles and using, like, then you can't run those same formations and spread the field and do some of the things that other teams are doing. So it's, it's extremely hard for a coordinator to go, well, if we want to be this running the football, yeah, we can't be that throwing the football. We've got to, you know, build our, our, our pass game around that. I think the Titans are another example, right? They are Derrick Henry centric in their offense. So their offense becomes a lot of two man routes and right. play action. And, it's hard to be, you know, extremely dynamic in, in, in dynamic in the pass game when you're so built around playing within between the tackles. And so that's where I think, you know, the, the Ravens are hoping to expand. Still a top five run team. We still want to be a, a power run team when we need to, but we want to do it with more three wide receiver sets and spread sets. So now it's not this dramatic change from run game to pass game. You know, it, it's not using different personnel or or trying to use a certain personnel in the run game and then spread them out and think they're going to be dynamic in the pass game. It just doesn't work. And so they're trying to figure out that mesh point of being able to be a real good run team because that's where they've won games in the past. That's what they're doing real well this year. But doing it in such a way that it truly connects to a dynamic or what could be a dynamic pass game. And now we've got something. Now it's hard for teams to stop us because we're not going, oh, when we go three wides, we're throwing it, right? When we go three tight ends, we're either going to run or play action and we're going to stay in between the tackles and we can't spread the field. We want to be able to do both. And that's why this experiment, and I think that's why the change and, you know, and we're going to see, can they do that? Can they get to the point where they can do both of those things and they can mesh it together where now they can become really, really dynamic or really, really balanced, and teams can't just figure it out. Like, hey, we're going to do this. Oh, if they spread out and pass from this situation with, you know, with a fullback and, and three tight ends, 
you know, we feel pretty good about our chances to be able to stop them, um, you know, when they do that. And so, uh, so I think, you know, again, long-winded way to say this is kind of some of the stuff that I took from, um, from our meetings and the understanding of what they're trying to be and why they needed to make this change um, if they really want to compete for championships in the AFC. It's an incredibly well thought given answer. Kurt, I know I need to let you go, but I squeeze this in here real quick because they've, they've gotten some pushback about being a team that lets their foot off the gas and their statistics say their success rate offensively goes down drastically. They're one of the you know top five or so teams in the first half and they're in the bottom of the NFL in the second half. And I know that some of that comes along with purposefully changing play calls when they build up leads, but they've blown some leads. And, you know, for a second, it looked like it was kind of getting away from them last week in London. Do the Ravens have an issue with taking their foot off the gas they have to improve upon this season? Um. Yeah, I, I think every game is different. Um, you know, every situation is different because, you know, th th there's no doubt that, you know, when you get up in a game, late in a game, especially when you feel your strength is running the football, that, you know, you want to run the football and you want to take the, you know, clock down and you, and you want to turn out first downs and you physically want to to be able to, to beat people. Um, you know, but but yeah, I mean, I think you have to develop who you are offensively. And that's first and foremost. And as much as you want to be good at everything, you develop who you are offensively. And then while the game is still in the balance, you play to what you do offensively, no matter what that is. If you're a throw first team, you throw first. Even when, you know, you're up going into the fourth quarter, you still play your game and you play to your strengths because that's how you got there and that's how you win. And so, uh, you know, I think a big part, again, with, with the Ravens is, is figuring out what they are offensively. You know, like, what is their strength right now? What can they hang their hat on if the pass game's not is more clunky and, and not as efficient across the board? Then you probably lean on your run game because that's where you've been more consistent than in the pass game. But, but again, I just think the bottom line is that if you play the way that you play, and you do that, you know, for the bulk of a game until you get down to those last couple drives where it solely is about managing the clock. Anything before that, I think you play football. Mm -hmm. And I think the best teams in the league, you see that, you know, back when Brady and them were good. I mean, they'd be up by three touchdowns and they'd still be playing their game. They wouldn't just be turning around, handing the football off. They play their game because yeah. that's how they got there. That's how they're going to win. And, you know, and I think that's going to be key for the Ravens. But what we have to remember is right now, what is that? You know, what, what is our game right now? Where are we offensively where we go, okay, we hang our hat on this, and that's when we're going, you know, when they get to that point, that's when we'll be able to kind of answer this question a little bit better is, okay, how are they playing when they get into the late third and fourth quarter if they have a lead? Are they going against what they've done the entire game? Or are they playing to their strengths and just continuing to play football? And then at that point, you have to, be efficient and, and be good at whatever you're doing. Um, but, you know, and again, like I look at the Pittsburgh game and the Pittsburgh game, they, they just should have won. Yeah. Like, I don't know what brand of football they played or what they did down the stretch. I mean, they had three passes that were dropped in the end zone that they win that game. You know, of course they have the interception at the end, understand what they were trying to do there, but you know, an interception in the end zone, they get three points there. Maybe they win that game because of that play. And so I think that was less about, Hey, what did we do down the stretch as it was, 
we didn't execute. We didn't execute when we needed to, you know, even on the other side. Marlon Humphrey one-on-one with uh, George Pickens, and he gives up a big touchdown pass, and they lose the game. So it was more to me about not executing than it was necessarily style or, or what they did down the stretch. Um, you know, and I think you could say the same against, you know, Indy when you go back and look at that game and, you know, you could argue about the pass interference and, and, and you know, some of the situations of going forward on fourth down, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it was more just about lack of execution than I would really put it on changing style, um, you know, in those moments. It was more about efficiency with what they were doing. Kurt Warner, I, I could do this for hours. I truly appreciate it. I always want to ask every time we talk, is there anything, first things first, anything you're doing on the charity side of things that we can plug for you because it means the world to see everything that you do to try to help our country? Uh, I mean, I appreciate that. You know, we're doing all kinds of stuff. You know, we've got uh, what we call Warner's Warm Up. We've been doing it in St. Louis for 20 some years now where we collect new and gently used coats uh, for those that are in need as it starts to get cold. So, um, you know, go to KurtWarner.org if you're interested in making a donation or helping us there. We've got another event that we're doing actually next Friday that we call Celebrity Game Nights, um, you know, for our new foundation in Arizona, Treasure House. Uh, so if you're interested, treasurehouse.org, it's a community living facility for young adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we're just trying to change the world for, for, you know, that group of our community. Um, but always got a million things going on. So, uh, follow me on Twitter, Kurt 13 Warner or X, I guess it's called now go to yeah. kurtwarner.org, go to treasurehouse.org. If you're interested in, uh, in seeing what we got going and, and helping us out, or if you're in that area coming out and joining us for the different events and and supporting us uh we appreciate everybody and there's going to be a lot of ravens fans out in arizona next week i know that as they're getting ready to face the cardinals next sunday it's going to be a prime road destination this season kurt warner always a thrill thank you for taking the time for us i truly appreciate it man no problem good to talk to you as always that's the Hall of Famer, Kurt Warner. And it's an interesting thought, the one that's shared by uh, Femi Ayambadejo, that part of the problem is the Ravens don't really have an offensive identity yet. And so in the second half, when you say, hey, you want to stay true to your offensive identity and continue to do the things you're doing, well, they don't really know yet what their identity is and what actually works. So that has hurt them in the second half. I, I don't have an easy answer for it. Like, to me, I, it's been the dumb guy thing. Hey, they're taking the foot off their ga- off the gas, and they don't run the ball well enough in order to play bully ball. This isn't the 2019 Ravens. I get it. You would ideally like to hold on to the ball for the entirety of the second half and grind out a win, right? Like, that would be – that's an ideal circumstance. And in 2019, they were able to do that overwhelmingly. And then even the seasons that followed, they were still, you know, somewhat capable of doing that. But they're not built to be built to be that team anymore. Kurt Warner's point is, you keep running the, your offense until like the last two possessions of the game. You don't change it at all. You don't change play calling. You just keep doing your thing. Probably right, right? Like that's probably about the the time frame. But the issue being, what do we know yet? The Ravens consistently do successfully offensively. And that's part of the problem with what they're doing in the second half. So, interesting thoughts from uh, the Hall of Famer, Kurt Will. Yeah. Listen, it was the one thing that really – look, I was ready to move on from Greg Roman. Uh, couldn't have told you that much about Todd Munkin, but I'm certainly not down on Todd Munkin yet. I think this has a lot to do with the fact of how there were so many new pieces sure. 
to sure. this thing, and they didn't get to really play together in games. Well, and they, I, I understand it's a double-edged yep, sword yep. of wanting to protect their health, but this is what you get when you protect their health, I, and your identity hasn't been established. It, it feels like six weeks in, you should have had, yeah, you know, like you should be coalescing a little bit more around it. And again, they dealt with injuries, and I'm trying to be fair to you know whatever J.K. Dobbins would have brought to this offense had he been healthy you know, this season. I won't say he's disappeared, but Mark Andrews doesn't even seem like he's, he's not been the impact. explosive yeah. impact guy that yes we're used to Mark Andrews being. And the idea was that Mark Andrews was supposed to be more open this season because of all the attention that defenses would have to pay to all these other playmakers. All right, we got to squeeze one more break in. We'll do that. Then we'll come back in. We'll get a tidbit. We'll get tubular. And we will wrap up today's show with uh, segment number three of the Tyus Bowser Show with Jadevion Clowney. Today's show also brought to you by... Oh, you know what? I'll tell you about it on the other side. This one's brought to you by Superbook. Superbook also brings you the Tyus Bowser Show. How about that? How about that? So I'll, I'll tell you more about it when we come back in. It's Glenn Clark Radio. Why bet with the big boys this football season? Instead, try your hand with the local book, Superbook Sports, this fall. Superbook Sports is the book next door. Just a dedicated team of the best odds makers in Las Vegas, making sure you get the best prices and parlays anywhere. And now, Superbook will give you a bonus of up to $250 when you sign up and wager on the same day and use the promo code GlennClark23, G-L-E-N-N-C-L-A-R-K-2-3. So bet with the best. And use the promo code GlennClark23 this football season with Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, everyone? It's Tyus Bowser, and I've had so much fun hanging out with Rita and putting up with Glenn the last couple years that I've decided to do it again. Season three of the Tyus Bowser Show is happening this year as we'll be all over town, giving you the chance to get to know me and some of my teammates. As we talk football, life in general, and just say what needs to be said, you can find out more about the show by going to pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. If you don't live in the area, you can watch the shows live on Facebook and YouTube. And if you miss one, you can listen Friday nights at 105.7 The Fan. So we'll see you all season long for the Tyus Bowser Show. A partnership of Press Box and Great Ace Memorabilia. The next Tyus Bowser show is Tuesday, October 17th at Mother's North Grill in Timonium. It's brought to you by Superbook Sports and AJ Michaels. And if you or a loved one have a gambling problem, visit HelpMyGamblingProblem.org. Picking a restaurant to try for the first time? Let's look at the Costas Inn. Here's a few checklist items. Quality of the food? Check. Quality of service? Check. Does restaurant have plenty of free parking? Check. And finally, does restaurant have delicious steamed crabs, crab cakes, crab soup, and specials galore? Check, check, check. Costas Inn, 4100 North Point Boulevard. They check all the boxes. Visit Harford County this fall. Celebrate arts across Harford September 15th through the 30th with dance, theater, music, and visual arts. September 29th through October 1st is the largest Italian festival in Maryland, featuring entertainment, cooking demonstrations, a bocce tournament, and family fun. If you're headed to the Maryland Five Star, stay and play in Harford County. While you're there, enjoy the scenic views atop the king and queen seats and experience pumpkin patches, corn mazes, and fall brews along their Harford Life Trail. For more info, head to visit Harford.com. Maryland Open. What company has the expertise to make your home healthier by purifying your air and killing all viruses, allergens, and bacteria? A.J. Michaels. Heating and air conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis. A.J. Michaels.com. 
The Baltimore County Police Department is now hiring with competitive salaries, including for experienced police officers, starting salaries between over $68,000 and over $82,000 based on your prior service time, accepting up to seven years of service times with only six weeks in the academy, minimum of two years prior experience. And police cadets starting salaries at over $32,000 must be between the ages of 18 and 20, but you can apply starting at 17 and a half, must have a high school diploma or GD equivalent at the time of the hire, U.S. citizen at the time of the hire, and a valid driver's license. So if you have a passion for service and want a career for life, now is the time to join the Baltimore County Police Department. Call 410-887-5542 or visit joinbaltimorecountypd.com. Whether your focus is luxury and comfort, convenience and technologically advanced connectivity, or sporty performance and aggressive styling, we've got the perfect Highlander for you. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Highlanders from your local Toyota dealer today. Sure, Glenn may be in his 40s now, but he looks just as good as he ever has, and he's still as sharp as he ever was. And I say both those things without even a shred of irony. Find out for yourself right now by watching the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or youtube.com slash pressboxonline. Stan the Fan Charles, you'll be back on tomorrow morning on the Bat Around, correct? Yep, I'll be doing something similar to what you did when you interviewed Kurt Warner. I'll probably be out at uh, either driving out to uh, Fair, Hill. Fair Hill or out there. That uh, is tomorrow morning, 10 to noon, with Paul and Zach, as they'll continue to be talking baseball throughout the course of the off offseason. Uh, hope you will join them and uh, Stan and Ross and Luke again Monday on uh, Facebook Live. You can yep. check them out talking baseball there. Let's get a tidbit. Tidbit brought to you by your local Toyota dealer and by a Toyota.com. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a range of models and trim lines, so you can choose the perfect Tacoma to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. So Joe West, who... Uh, Cowboy did, Joe West. Yeah, Cowboy Joe West. Uh, the reason, I guess, or, you know, the reason he'd go into the Hall of Fame, uh, he has most of the, he has umpired the most MLB games all time. 5,460 games umpired by Joe West. And I think, like, five or six of them, he did a pretty good job. <laughs> Do you have... how many good calls you, he made. Yeah, right. Would you guys have any clue who would be who else would be atop the list of not a ch- no chance no chance no chance Jocko Conlon uh he's he's up there I saw his name uh, where's Jocko um, number two on the list is Bill Clem who pit who yeah. umpired across four decades or I guess it was five decades from 1905 to 1941 he's uh, Harry right Wendell stat he's eighth on the list okay 4500. Um, Ed Montague has 4,300. He's 13th on the list. Games also on fire. this uh, list yes. of this committee. Uh, where's Jocko? Oh, there's Jocko. Jocko's 41st. Wow, he's pretty low. But, yeah. For a yeah. long time, he was like numero uno. How about uh, Richie Garcia? Uh, no, not no. Richie Garcia in all-time no. games umpired. Kicked him out of the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tim oh, Welke? Tim Welke. I saw his name. 19th. 19th Tim Welke. Um, any others before uh, Don uh, Denkinger? Don Denkinger. Who was the? Oh yeah, Don Denkinger. That's a good one. Who was thirty uh, first? Who Don was Denkinger. the? Um, who was the umpire that just came out as gay? Wrote a book. Was doing. We had him on. Yeah. Oh man. Who I was? Remember his name. I don't think he's gonna be on this list. My he, favorite umpire was Steve Phillips. I love Steve Phillips. Umpire. The, his book was it. called The Umpire Is Out. That's Dale right. Scott. Dale Scott. Yeah, uh, he's not in the top ninety. I don't believe. Okay. I, I didn't. All I don't right. think I saw his name. All right. Um, 
Yeah. All right. Now for tidbit, let's do. Okay. So Brandon Fat, right? That's what we're going with. Fat. Fat. Gosh, I listened Brandon to it Fott. like three times. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Brandon Fat. He is the first pitcher in MLB history to have no to allow no runs and no walks in consecutive postseason starts. First time that that has ever happened. Do you know who has the most starts of uh, of no runs? Postseason no starts. Most, yeah. No runs. No walks. It's a bit of a surprising list. Great. That'll make I it know. easy for well, us to well, come up Well, well, because they're all recent. All recent. Like, there's no... Like, recent last 20 years? Correct. Pedro Martinez. No, not... Kurt Schilling. Even more recent. Kurt Schilling. Even more recent. Roy Holiday. Not Roy Holiday. There are six guys, seven guys, who have done it multiple times. Mm. Have had multiple games. Justin not Verlander. Not Verlander. Clayton Kershaw. Not Clayton that Kershaw. Definitely wouldn't have been Kershaw. Not this year. I understand no. that. What, what is it that they've done? They've had what? Multiple starts with no runs allowed and no walks. In a postseason start. Multiple starts. Who've won some of those? This is. I'm trying to think. It, Aaron Nola. Aaron Nola's only done it once. Okay. Jake Arrieta. Uh, not not multiple times, if ever. Cool. A lot of guys. Yeah, there's a ton of guys. Charlie Arietta Morton. Did it once. Arietta did it once. Uh, I don't see Morton. So, CC Sabathia. <laughs> not CC Sabathia. It, I, okay. All right, I have another one. Do you want to do that instead? This isn't going well. I know how that many, much. How many are so, there? Hang there's on. seven guys. So, seven guys. Wait, wait, wait. All right. Adam Wainwright. Uh, not Adam Wainwright. One of his uh, teammates is though is on this list. Jack Flaherty. Yeah. Not Jack <laughs> Michael Waka. Not Michael Waka. Michael. How about um, Sandy Koufax? No. No, he said it was recent. He said it was on the last twenty well, years. Well, if you're my age, that's recent. Is that recent, Sandy yeah. Koufax? Yeah. Is that where we are? How about I'm trying to think of another There's... Atlanta Brave. How about um, Max? No, he said there another... is... Okay. Max Free. Max hey, Free. We got one. The most starts, three starts of no runs and no walks. That is the most. Uh, now there's another Ready Cardinal. To... Hang on a second. There's another Cardinal? Uh, yes, said. there is. Yes. There's another Cardinal that was on the list. Nicholas? Uh, no, not Mike. Dakota Michaels. Hudson. Uh, no, not Dakota Hudson. <laughs> Man. Better Cardinal pitchers from this millennium. I. I from this millennium. How far back do we have to go in the millennium? Because I, I hear to, Adam uh, Wainwright's pretty good. Let's go to, uh, he was with the Cardinals from 04 to 12. That is pretty good. Retired recent. in 12. 04 to 12. Oh, boy. Let me, let me look. Let me look it up. <laughs> let me do what I do when I oh, play baseball. 04 to 12. We'll get this one, and then I'll give you the rest. Yeah, this went well. This was you really nailed it on this one. Oh, four to twelve. Would that be? It's not Wayne, right? It's Chris Carpenter. Chris Carpenter. Yes, okay. multiple oh, postseason starts. Terrific. Um. All right. Uh, a, a pitcher from the nineteen hundreds. The Immaculate Grid. Mm, yeah, uh, the Blue Jays and yeah. Cardinals. Yeah. Blue, right, Blue um, Jays and from Cardinals. the 1900s, this pitcher is the only one to do it before 2000. Greg Maddox. Uh, no. Tom no, Glavin. Like, John like Smol- Literally 1900. Oh, for God's sakes. Christy Matthewson. Sure. Uh, it's just about this. <laughs> right. Uh, John, what happened to recent? John Lackey. Well, I'm saying he was the only one that wasn't recent. John he was Lackey. a good postseason pitcher, I guess. Lance McCullers. Did Josh Beckett do this? No, Josh Beckett didn't do it. There's one more that I haven't given pitcher. you. It is a Dodgers John Lester. Very Dodgers, recent. a very recent. Dodgers. Kenta Maeda. He was hurt this year, so. 
Uh, who's, who's hurt, hurt this, this year? year? Walker Bueller. Walker Bueller. Oh, yeah. Walker Bueller has two starts. I knew. It's I knew. a very random list. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess we're, it's not like we're, we've already gone long, so I, we, can, just, we can, what, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Do you want to, do you have something else you want to give us? I can save it for Monday. It, we're not, it's not like we're going to wrap up the show at by 1230 at this about point. about the fight stuff? Oh yeah. You want to talk about the UFC yeah, fight. Uh, you can either tell me about the UFC fight or you can give me the other piece of your. All right. Then I guess I'll tell you about the UFC All fights. Right, fine. Tubular. Should I hit the. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. Tubular is brought to you today by the Baltimore County Police Department. And again, the event is coming up Saturday, October 28th at the Public Safety Building, 700 East Joppa Road. Both a hiring event. If you're thinking about a career with the Baltimore County Police Department, the written test, the agility test, application process, do it all right there. And a community event with a trunk or treat for your kids. Nice, safe environment. Saturday, October 28th, Public Safety Building, 700 East Joppa Road with the Baltimore County Police Department. Find out more at joinbaltimorecountypd.com or give them a call, 410-887-5542. All right, busy weekend indeed. Maryland Five Star, I would encourage you to get out there. If you can't, you can watch it 2 o'clock today, 1.30 tomorrow and Sunday on MPT. 5 o'clock today for... Can, can somebody out of state... Is there a way there is to, a website that you can watch it on. I don't remember what the website is. Can you find that out for me when we sign off? You I don't can. Have to, yes, yeah. I can do that. I have somebody who would really like to watch it, it out in Colorado. Fox Sports 1 tonight for Game 5 of the ALCS. Justin Verlander and Jordan Montgomery as the uh, – it's a pivotal Game 5 with the series now tied up two games apiece. The uh, Rangers try to at least get one at home against the Astros. That's at 5 o'clock. TDS for Game 4 in the NLCS, Phillies, Diamondbacks. It's Christopher Sanchez and a bullpen game for the Diamondbacks. Uh, Joe Mantiply starts off. Maryland soccer against Indiana tonight at 8.30 on the Big Ten Network. Tomorrow, CBS, CBS, CBS for Air Force and Navy at noon. Uh, Flow Sports, Towson, William & Mary, 3.30. Stevenson's homecoming game sold out, Ooh. so the only way that you can watch it would be at uh, GoMustangSports.tv. As they take on Misericordia at noon, Hopkins at home at 1 o'clock against her sinus as well. Game 5 of the NLCS tomorrow night at 8 o'clock on TBS. The big college football games, Penn State, Ohio State at noon on Fox. Uh, Michigan, Michigan State, 7.30 on NBC. Duke, Florida State, 7.30 on ABC and Tennessee, Alabama, 3.30 on CBS. Uh, tomorrow night, pay-per-view for UFC 294. Sell me. Well, I guess it's not tomorrow. It's 2 p.m. Oh, it's 2 p.m. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Yes, right. uh, but it is uh, It is probably the probably the card of the year in Abu Dhabi. It is Volkanovski, Islam Makachev 2. They fought in February, and it was a great fight um, that Islam just barely, barely edged Volkanovski out in. Volkanovski is the longtime featherweight champion, so he moved up Do to... I remember that you thought there was some controversy to this decision? Yeah, because I thought... Well, because Volkanovski just looked better at the end. Yeah. This is when we got into the talk, and we were like, you know, by rule, like, you know, the way that you judge rounds, you go round yes, by round. That's the way it works. And Islam won more rounds, even though Volkanovski looked so much better and stronger at the end of the fight uh, because he had a really strong fifth round and just looked better. But they'll go back at it. Uh, should be a really, really fun one, the co-main. So it got shaken, shooken up uh, about like 10 days ago. It was supposed to be Charles Oliveira in Islam Makachev. And then oh. Charles had to jump out with an injury. Um, and, it's, I mean, it honestly worked out for the for the better for them because Charles had already lost to Islam. He just kind of had earned his way back to getting a, a rematch. <clears> but no one was really – I mean, we were excited for it because it's, it's lightweight. 155 is probably the deepest division in in UFC and MMA. And MMA. 
Uh, and then Kamzat Shemaev, who was undefeated, he's the one who fought like three times in a week during a Fight oh, Island right. back, in, yeah, back yeah. during COVID. Um, and so he's still around. He's still really good. He was supposed to f- sp- supposed to fight Paulo Costa, who uh, had to pull out with an injury as well. And in steps Kamaru Usman, uh, who is fighting, will be fighting at the first time at middleweight, 185. He is the longtime welterweight champion, lost to Leon Edwards. Um, so that fight should be really good. I mean, Kamzat should win. Um, he's a big favorite. Do you, um, do you have a bet? Do you have a parlay? Yes, you I put wrote together? my bets down. Right. Uh, these odds were based on yesterday when we were preparing them. They did come from uh, from uh, Superbook Sports. Um, I like uh, so there's so and they have a lot of Russian guys uh, fighting just because Abu Dhabi is close to Russia. So they so these guys always jump up jump I on guess. this card. I mean, it's because they don't I, they don't like they don't like know. to cross the the ocean okay. for the most part. Uh, but Ikram Eliskurov, I like him by knockouts. Uh, Shara Magomedov, he is making his UFC debut. I also like him by knockout at minus 110, uh, or you can get him at plus 210 to just win in the first round, whether it's, you know, a submission knockout. Uh, my parlay is Magomed, uh, Ankalaev, or no, 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 Ma- uh, sorry, first, first one will be Magomed, Magomedov, Shara Magomedov, just money line, minus 280. Uh, the Indian fighter, Anshul Jubli, minus 300, put him on the money line. And Magomed Ankalaev is also on this card as well. They're the third fight from the top. Uh, he's fighting. Um, why can't I remember who he's fighting? Uh, he's gonna. He's gonna beat them. Um, uh, shoot, I wrote it. I wrote it. Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. Hey, Johnny Walker Black? Really? Uh, no, like, I don't think Johnny. The, the guy who used to do morning radio in Baltimore. This Johnny is Walker. Really interesting. That Johnny. This is <laughs> what a see, turn for see, Johnny see, Walker. That's why I think Magomed is going to yeah, win right? rather no, easily. Makes sense. Uh, but you parlay, parlay those three, uh, and you get plus one thirty over at Superbook. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Opportunity to make a little money. Yeah. So those are and my And Griffin hit one of these once. Oh, yeah. I always yeah. do. No. Not always. And uh, Jinyu Fry, Fry, she's fighting uh, a, a, a Russian fighter, and she's like plus 400. I think she she could win oh, if, you, if okay. you're feeling, you know. If you, feeling if you froggy? Want, yeah. Feeling froggy. Spring there was someone on plus 400. The girl she's fighting missed weight a couple hours ago, so, you mm. know, she didn't have a great camp, it mm. appears, and I was already liking Fry. Okay. So. Very good. Give me some Very genuine good. fry at plus 400. That's the fight uh, tomorrow afternoon, 2 o'clock on ESPN. They start at 10 a.m., so make sure you're up early. Make sure. Uh, Sunday, Lions-Ravens, 1 o'clock on Fox. The uh, uh, the local TV game in the afternoon, Chargers-Chiefs, 425 on CBS. Dolphins-Eagles Sunday night, 815 on NBC. That's a good one. Game six of the ALCS is at 8 o'clock Sunday night on FS1. Anything non-sports-wise? Uh, yeah, there are a few things before. Uh, so if you go to Maryland5star.us, uh, there's a big How to Watch tab. And so anyone in the area, there you can. It, there's a live link to the live stream on MPT and PBS or whatever. There's also a North America tab on How to okay. Watch It. You go to USEF, um, which I believe is the equestrian, their equestrian network. Um, so yeah, they, they, that that walks you through how to do it. Um, non-sports wise, Big Mouth season seven on Netflix. There's another season, new season of Big Mouth, um, which I was into. Not so. Never much. been a thing for me. Really? No, it's uh, just never. I guess when I was a kid. I, well, I guess I was. I don't know how long it's been around, but sure. I was a senior let's, in high school. Let's keep. Let's keep. Old Dads. Uh, this is Bill Burr's movie. This is also. Oh, on Netflix. I have heard about yeah. Yes, old Dads. where he is an old dad. He yes. became a dad at the yeah. uh, I think the old age of forty six. 
He plays an old. Da- it's called. I think it's more about. It's it's kind but it's of called about old his, dads. Yes, and he plays an old dad. What yeah. an idea! What, what a concept! What a, what a I think concept. it's what a concept. Pretty much based on like what happened like with his life as well. Glenn okay. and I are working on a treatment of middle-aged dads. Yeah, right. Yeah. Let's see how that goes for uh, me. There's an Anthony. Mackie Everybody's movie. sharing the clip from the Tyus Bowser show this week. Where I got to have my son sitting on my lap because he wouldn't go more than six inches away from me on Tuesday night. Really? I'm not kidding. Okay. My son. I said. Like, would you go sit with Miss Leah? And he was like, yeah. My other son had basketball practice on Tuesday. That's why I didn't so go. I'll that was the now. reason? Yeah, okay. I had heard a rumor. So Your th- wife called me. They've said, been here. He yeah. won't sit with anybody but Glenn. They've been here before, and they know Leah. And so I said, would you go sit with Miss Leah? And he was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. No problem. And then the show's about to start, and he looks around, and there are so many people there. And he's all of a sudden not comfortable any longer. Right. And I'm like, pal, I, I need you. I got to do the show. And he was not having it. There like, it not. Good. And just had good to seat. sit right there on my lap. Best at seat the in the table. house. Yeah, he did have the best seat in the house. But it's awkward <laughs> on the video because you don't see my face asking the questions. You just see my six-year-old son's <laughs> face. That's it. Um, if I were, if you were the last, uh, this is a Peacock movie with Anthony, Anthony Mackie and there's, it's him and a, and some other astronaut, they're stranded out in space and they're, you know, questioning if people are going to come to save them. And, uh, I don't know. It looks a little funny, a little lighthearted, uh, but okay. also a little serious a little as well. So right. Anthony Mackie movie. I like Anthony Peacock. Mackie, but. And then Bad Bunny is uh, hosting Saturday Night Live. Right. Yeah. Host and musical guest mm-hmm. for Saturday Night Live uh, tomorrow night. All right. Thanks today to. Kurt Warner. Thanks also to Steve Doherty from the Maryland State Athletic Hall of Fame. Thanks to Rodrigo Lopez. Thanks to Bo Smolka. Thanks to Mike Nolan. We'll get all of it up in the greatest hit section of the uh, why won't it? Oh wow. my god, it's so good. What just happened <laughs> I there? I was right now the tweet for Yikes. Well done. Stan the fan, thank you as always, my friend. Thank you. Enjoy thank five you, star you. this weekend. Everybody getting out the fair hill. Um I will be, or we'll be with you for Project Game Day after the game on Sunday, and then we'll be back on Monday. I feel like you told me we actually have a, a guest booked for Monday, yes, and correct. I can't remember who uh, it was. Tom Rinaldi, who will be ah, uh, Tom on the Rinaldi, the uh, the man who makes you cry. Tom Rinaldi is doing sidelines. Uh, is the A team for Fox? It's going to be in town. Uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson, Tom Rinaldi with them, and Aaron Andrews, all on that crew. Tom Rinaldi will join us on Monday, and I will try not to cry. Also, Jeremy, of course, on Monday and stuff and things. Thanks. I just, I just used Ed Figueroa. On the grid? On the grid. That was what it get you. As a New York Yankee with an under, it's a new category. Oh? Under 3.00 ERA season. Single season? Okay. Yeah. What'd it get you? Got me 0.1%. Nicely done. Nice. And then well it's done. got another new category. Only one team. New Ooh. York Yankee. I used well, Phil Rizzuto, okay, two percent. I was gonna say everybody will probably use Jeter. Like, what I was Jeter's was Mattingly would be somebody. Would Mickey be on Mantle, yeah, one hundred percent. Thanks to everybody at PressBox, all of our great sponsors and partners, including Live Casino and Hotel, the Maryland Five Star, Guilford Hall Brewery, AJ Michaels, Baltimore County Police Department, Royal Farms, Costas Inn, Superbook Sports, Hartford County, your local Toyota dealer, and BuyAToyota.com. Thanks to Griffin at Griffin underscore Bass. Follow us Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Glenn Clark Radio. Have a great weekend. Go Ravens. Go Navy. Go Towson. Go everybody. Duke sucks. We wrap up today's show in the week with segment number three of the Tyus Bowser Show with Jadebi on Clowney. Back in here for segment number three of the Tyus Bowser Show live from Mother's North Grill and Timonium. 
Rita and Glenn, Tyus, and Shadevian clowning. Oktoberfest party this Saturday at Mother's North, and don't forget about the Halloween party as well. I enjoyed the uh, berry salad with some steak tonight. Rita, what'd you have over there? Would you? I had the black and blue salad, and it was phenomenal. The black and blue salad, no doubt. Everything great here at Mother's North. Appreciate them having us out. All right, Tyus, uh, we know that you've always been uh, a Drake fan. I have. We haven't been able to talk since, what was it, two Fridays ago? Mm-hmm. Was when the last record dropped. Give me your thoughts. I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's one of those albums that you just have to continue to listen to and just get used to. But uh, he got some hits on there. He got some real good, he got some jams on there. I like it. Guys, I apologize. If I could ask everybody again here, we just, we could do a radio broadcast if we try to keep the noise down. I'm so I know we're in a bar. I know we're having fun tonight. Just if we could try to keep the noise down a little bit for the radio, I appreciate it. Um, I thought, I like Amen. Okay, that was a good one. I like that one a lot. That was a good one. I like um, Virginia Beach. Okay. I like that one. You you listened to the album, huh? I didn't know that. Think about that. Stand on business, no. What about, are you a Drake guy, Jadavion? I'm a little bit of everybody. I'm all over the place with music. Like what? Tell me what you're into. I mean, most of the art I'm saying when it comes down to music like J. Cole, Drake, uh, uh, NBA Youngboy, I take it all, all up right. and down, like young to old heads. Who yeah. you got? Who you got? Bob, Pick me on you, somebody. We'll get Pick you me some on local guys. We Even Gunner, I like Gunner's last album. He came back after all that he went through. I think it's probably his coldest album ever, so. We're not yet to the point Rod where, like, Wade. The, the young guys on the team don't look at you like Drake. He's old. No, like, you're no, not, no, they listen to Drake, too. Leave it. Right? No, they listen to Drake now. All right. Everybody. All right. Everybody all right. listens to Drake. Like, who doesn't listen to Drake? I, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Um, did y'all see flag football is now an Olympic sport? Yeah, that's going to be crazy. Did, uh, what's the name, try to promote it? Um, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, Tyreek Hill. Yeah, he's trying to get on yes. the team, right? Yeah. They're trying to create a, uh, and I think Micah Parsons also said he would like to join as well. They're trying to create a super team of well, he sorts. Can't get, I don't think he's going to do much rushing the pass in that game. Yeah. I think it's going to be a little different. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. You don't think this would be your world? You don't think that? I mean, I, I think I can play receiver in that world. Right. Yeah, I'll be good. They'll be surprised. <laughs> I think I the last time I did that, yeah. I was playing what? Tight end receiver, and I yeah. was balling. So, I mean, yeah, I could. I think that'd be fun you, for me. Now, wait a second. You want to throw your name in the hat? Show off my other Why not? skills. Why this not? Is, we're starting the campaign right now. Tyus Bowser, LA28. We're starting that campaign nice. right now. Hashtag. Tyus wants on the team. Yeah. I, I mean, you got that athleticism. I you do. Can, I can play offense. Of course, people know I play defense. Right. You know, I drop in coverage a lot. So I feel like I do really I'm well. I'm I personally think I'm one of the best coverage outside I'm, linebackers I'm in the NFL. I'm not debating. So, I mean, I feel like that'll be beneficial. So why not? I mean. I think Jadavian is going to play offense as well. Yeah, is that I'm what going, you're going to do? Yeah, I'm going up on somebody. I ain't got to worry about <laughs> getting hit crazy. I'm going up. Wide receiver. Something like that. I got a little speed still. I can put a head fake in there every <laughs> once in a while. You know what I'm saying? Flag, you know. I'll be good in that. I, you, like I mean, I don't know how to say <clears throat> You would be like 35 by oh, that Lord. point. Mm. I don't know then. Yeah, you might be right. <laughs> I 
That's crazy. Every you you running a post right? at that at your at that point in your life? I might be blocking. <laughs> I have to block. Yeah, these dudes can go until they're forty, right? Yeah, like, that's crazy. They yeah. got no problem doing that. Um, who would be on yours? So let's let's put together so it's, we know you're on it. You're gonna put this is like when we do, you know, who's your five for basketball. Oh, okay. Let me see. By the way, is Jadavian This all this all the people in the league right now? Yeah. Are the guys start. in the league right now, you put together a fantasy football team. It's gonna be straight speed, so a I flag football have team. Tyreek Hill. I don't think he's the fastest, craziest speed in the league. Um I'll take Lamar Jackson. I mean Of course. Crazy speed. Every everybody with the speed and flag. I need you to be able to run. So it'd be him. Let me get, even though he in my division, I take Jamar Chase. I ain't, uh, he got, he got, I know y'all don't want to hear that. <laughs> but a guy got hands, he got hands. I respect the game. I know, but this is a, we trying to win this thing. Um, I take him, because he got hands. Uh, that's a Devon Adams. Devontae okay. Adams. Yeah, mm. I take Adams. Who's, who's your running back? Different show hands. Who's your running back? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I don't know, man. Run it. Uh, I take Christian McCaffrey. He's playing good with yeah. ball right now. I mean, now. he's okay. He's playing. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's a good threat. He can run short route, intermediate route. So I think he'll be a good threat out there. What about like a defensive back that's capable of catching? Because they're going to have to play on both sides, right? So who's somebody that you think you could put on the team that could actually catch and play defensive back? I would say Derwin James. That's a great one. I take I take my boy over him, Hamilton over him. You said like Kyle Hamilton. Kyle Hamilton. Yeah, I like okay. Him. All right. All right. Now think, you want everybody Kyle, back. Now I think Kyle ready. underrated. Anyway, so yeah, he got range, man. He's six four. He like it's crazy. Like he's he, he's so rangy out there. Like you, you have, never, have, Did you, you never, see the picture that was floating around last week of Wembenyama? By the way. Nah, it's like oh my god, that boy, yeah, dude, blocking the, he blocked everything. Yeah. It's insanity. His feet. You're like that jump. does not look like a human. <laughs> like, what it's am I? Like this long though, right? The, I think the, like the one with the guy he blocked was like six eleven. That one, yeah. yeah, okay, dude, it's nuts. And he's like seven four, right? He's insane, yeah. I think yo. He's, he's gonna change the game again. So I fun. want him on my flag football team. Actually, now that yeah. I think about it, <laughs> throw it up, throw it up. Definitely all, a red zone threat. I want all them dudes. Um, we, are, we are out here at Mother's. Today's show brought to you by A.J. Michaels. What company has the expertise and technology to make your home substantially more energy efficient, comfortable, and even virus-free? It's A.J. Michaels Heating and Air Conditioning in Baltimore and Annapolis at AJMichaels.com. Uh, I need to know, there was something that happened after the game on Sunday, and I hadn't seen this this year. Okay. Where did Hip Hip Hooray come from? I think they had just what is I that? I think that was like a Harbs thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, it was, I was probably just Harbs. I, I, honestly, I don't know. I, think that was a I don't know. But, uh, I didn't think it came from somebody who was younger than 50 years old. For oh, the rest. <laughs> probably not. That's a Harbs thing. I, I yeah, Harbs was talking about it. I don't know what was going on. Y'all going with it, though. Like, I mean, we won the game, and that's what he wanted us to do. So, uh, <laughs> hip, hip, hooray, you know? That's usually how it goes. You yeah. join in, you just... Yeah, you just there. I feel that. You just were, there for the moment. So, so our, our English friend here that comes all the time, it is an English saying, so yeah. that's why he said hip hip parade. Is it really? Yeah, it's a London yes. thing. That's a London thing? All right. Yeah. I, I, was saying, I, said, I think that's it. what he said. Can you do it in your accent? What? Hip hip parade. Can you? 
Hip hip hooray? Yeah, can you do it in your British accent that you gave us earlier? I don't know if there's <laughs> hip hip hooray. I don't know. Like, you tried it. I don't. I don't even know. It worked. Okay. That worked. I got okay. out of that what I was looking for. Okay. You were telling us during the break, there's something else that y'all do after wins. It's called the board. The who? The board. With the pictures? Oh, yeah, the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is the story behind the board? Because Jadevian was really not happy. Yeah, so in our, in our hallways, in, our, in the facility, there's pretty much every single win that we had in Ravens history. And each win, we come in that Tuesday, and there's six pictures that we vote on as a team that we put on the wall. And pretty much those six pictures is you know, pretty significant times throughout the game where it was a great play, a great move, whatever the case may be. And we choose that to see what goes on the board. And this week, the pictures was not really that good. I mean, literally, they showed their picture and everybody was like, uh, next picture, uh, next picture. Boo. So, so that's how it was in there. Wow. It was how, that's how, that's exactly how it was. So, uh, one of the guys had a picture of Jadavion when he had the sack. Right. And it looked great. And I'm like, why is that picture not one of the actual pictures that we can vote on? Along with Gino and his right. interception that he had. I was like, man, I think that'll be a good picture to put on the wall. But. Yeah, I end up I end up texting hard. Let me Have see we gotten it. an update? Because Tyus officially put in like an inquiry about this picture issue. Uh oh, can we share? Is that Jadavion? No, he said Meg ain't have it. He said oh. Megan. What? Hang on a second. What is it? He said can she I? Didn't have it. See y'all got hard. Oh oh. Back. He texted. He back. said we can add the picture. Yeah. There we go. There we go. Weird. This worked out. <laughs> it worked out. This yeah, I'm talking to Meg about this. You go ask him. Yeah, we gotta we gotta talk to him when we get back yeah, in the room. Look yeah. at, she in our room too. Yeah. <laughs> look at that. Yeah. That yeah. worked out. We're I gonna think. get Jadevian up on the wall. See, man. Are, man. Like, it, was it was a time change for her. She was asleep when she did that. She yeah. was tired. I already knew what it was. Yeah. <laughs> so I ain't gonna bust her. I ain't gonna bust her chops too much. I'm just gonna give her a little uh-uh. Yeah. Megan Megan's done real good for us, so we we're gonna give her the benefit of the doubt. Respect. Shout out to Megan. Shout out to Megan. Megan Rosberg. I love that. I love that. Look at how that worked out. Hey, asking you shall receive, huh? <laughs> All right. So um, this week, not, by the way, Tyus Bowser show press box 105.7, the fan. Not only a big game, but a big moment with somebody coming back to town this weekend. As this weekend, Terrell Suggs will be recognized Ooh. in the Ravens Ring of Honor. Well, that, that was when the game was physical back when he was playing, huh? Do you ever have like? Do you ever have a relationship with Sizz at all? Uh, no, I watched them though the whole time. So I was just like a big fan of the, that defense. Period. It was like that's how that was the hitting time. That was the time football was physical when they had all of them guys. You was like scared to go across the middle. Wide receivers just scared to catch the ball across. You never had to worry about that because they had Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, and them, and it was what was taking your heads off back then. He used to wear a little skull mask on. Yeah. Thought he was crazy, really. I mean, uh, scary, but crazy. And Tyus can confirm he was. Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> he definitely see, was. See what I'm saying? No, but Terrell Suggs, he was a character, man. He, he had his own personality, and, you know, it was contagious. Everybody, you know, fed into it, and 
just having his presence, just being the man that he is, it was just amazing to have him around. And, you know, we pretty much, you know, followed him. The way he played, the way he, you know, approached the game on the field and in the classroom. And those are the type, that's the type of guy that you look up to that you want to model your game after. So amazing guy, man, amazing player. You know, blessed to be able to play with this guy for my first two years, first sack. Was my son? I celebrated with him. So I mean, that's I cool. Remember. That's cool, that's man. That Rita and I were both really excited. The last time we were here for a show, remember who was here with us? Was Calais? Yes. Yeah. And how about that moment? His 100th sack. He got it. Yep. Oh, he came back. He came back for that. <laughs> Go ahead. Calais. That's good. He that was it. cool, man. That's big time. That's yeah, big right. Time. That's a that's a hell of a number. Yeah, Absolutely. Congrats to him. I, you, Go ahead. Do, you, do you happen to know off the top of your head like how far away either either one of you guys is? I'm about too far. I'm I'm nowhere close. I got like 80 TFLs though, something crazy. Remember? We got to work on that. I got like 46. I'm probably if you get to 100 here, we're gonna make a big deal. 100 TFLs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Like, we're we're gonna make a big deal about that for sure. I ain't tripping. That was a, I'm just that was a dope moment though, for Calais. Yeah. That I'm, was, I'm very proud of him. You know, happy. He dog. He dog. I think that was a big moment for him. He'll probably get in the Hall of Fame after all of this setting down. We'll see. Uh, you never know. The voting go. It, I think he deserves it. Oh, for sure. Sure, sure. Or a defensive tackle to get 100 sacks yep. over their career. I think that's impressive. Absolutely. Uh, so he should get a shot at the Hall of Fame, if you ask me. Completely agree. All right, guys. So it's Sunday. Mm. You want to talk about it? It's a big game. A uh, huge game. They say we're playing the best team in the National Football League, and uh, I think – we got we we at home, so we got to come to play and show them. We need to show up and show out. Uh, I don't I don't expect nothing else out the Baltimore Ravens, man. And for us to show up and show out, and I'm looking forward to this game, and I'm preparing well and just trying to get ready to go. There's a thing that's been going on. Apparently, the the Lions fans call themselves the ones Taking that travel. Over. They call themselves the Blue Wave, I think. So oh, yeah. they, they, they're going, you know, because now they're, they're now, fun to watch. Sudden, all of a sudden they're good and there's Lion and, fans. And so Weird. apparently they coming, are, they you know, out. taking over stadiums. So what is it that you, you guys need from the flock on Sunday's game? To be up. present. Don't sell your tickets to the Lion fans. Yeah. We know how it go. Yeah, we don't want to see all that blue in there. Uh, you selling on, your tickets to the game is wild. <laughs> You selling your oh, tickets to opponent players is wild to me. I should, that's crazy. I don't think so that just, should ever happen. Yeah, if you're a real it. Ravens fan. Get it out there. Be there on Sunday. Be they, there. They've been gone for be like there. three weeks, too. It's, it's been right? a month, it feels like. It's yeah, been a month. Right? Exactly. Y'all should want to come and see us play. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's good, man. I think that's good. Simple as that. Let's remind everybody, Superbook Sports, use the code GlennClark23. When you sign up, you'll get a same-day first bet match up to $250, win or lose. And remember that if you or a loved one or a trippy has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit helpmygamblingproblem.org. Tyus, love you, brother. Love you too, man. Love Great to be out here. Jadavion, what you did tonight coming out here with the, one of the biggest crowds we've yeah. ever had. He actually this morning and got me, man. He got me. It was, it was tough for me because, you know, everybody was he still He don't say no too fast. He put me on the spot this morning. Like, man, you want to come on my show? I'm like, 
ain't got nothing else going Big on. Big shout out to sure. Jadavian for doing this, man. Yeah. Glad Big to be shot. here with y'all, man. Glad to be here with y'all. Thank y'all for having me. Our next show, we are not going to be on on Halloween because we figure y'all probably have plans. So well, I wasn't going to be here anyway because I'll be coming back from Arizona. Yeah, right? So we're pushing it back. Yeah, I'm going to the We'll be back together on Tuesday, November 7th. We'll be back at Guilford Hall Brewery, so make sure you come hang out with us yeah. for that one. For Rita, for Tyus, for Jadavion, I'm Glenn. For Press Boxing 105.7 The Fan, this has been the Tyus Bowser Show.